Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me. Tom will be with me all three hours. Brooks will be joining us here a little bit later on as he's got some company business to attend to right now. Yes, we return the uh, good old <laughs> definition there, good old uh, vocab of company business. So Brooks will be joining us a little bit later today. Company business. Company business. Uh, <laughs> so he'll be joining us later. We have a fun full three hours for you here this afternoon as uh, we will continue to go through the fall practice notes as uh, the scrimmage on Saturday. We talked a lot about it yesterday. We'll talk a little bit more about it today and continue to give our thoughts on where everything is at with some of these position battles and this football team as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Now uh, just 18 days away uh, as we continue the counter. 18 days till Auburn football this year. Today will be our preview of LSU football. That comes up in the 5 o'clock hour uh, as well as a sports call 5 at 5. We'll have birthdays and sports and nightly TV guide as always. We are fighting off the rainy weather today as a severe thunderstorm warning for the county right now. So if you continue to hear the emergency alert system go out, go out. if you're in your car listening on the regular radio signal, please heed those warnings. But uh, we are safe and sound in our Tiger Communication studios. And we're also going to be pleased at 4.30 to be joined by the head soccer coach of Auburn University, Coach Karen Hoppe, a pre-recorded interview that we were able to conduct with Coach Hoppe earlier today. So Coach Karen Hoppe with us at 4.30. Their season with the Auburn soccer team starts at, four, uh, at Thursday uh, evening as uh, they will get set to play a couple in-state foes later this week. Uh, so excited to have Coach Hoppe join us. So that's a little bit later in the show. Of course, all your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free. One triple eight nine at Tiger Nine. Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy with you here. Brooks Childress will join us a little bit later. Tom, uh, we have our playoffs tonight. Of course, is pouring right now. We hear the emergency alerts going off uh, and all these severe thunderstorms. So, if it were a three thirty game, we would not feel good about it. But we're scheduled for seven thirty this evening, so we'll see if this can move through and have our playoffs tonight. Yeah, we'll we shall see. Right now, it is bad outside. Uh, you know. I know the folks on the radio are not going to hear us as that an alert is going off right now as we talk, but a uh, severe thunderstorm outside. I mean, some loud thunder, <laughs> not thunder chickens right now. Yeah, that is just straight up thunder. Uh, but yeah, maybe it'll move out. Maybe it'll dry off and get the games in and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, we, we got a very tough opponent in that first game. Uh so uh, that's the unfortunate thing when you finish down towards the bottom of the league. We did not finish last in the league this right. year. 
So, Correct. Towards but, the bottom. But towards the bottom, you still have to Not face... the bottom. Right. But you still have to face one of the actual, like, Best championship com, uh, contenders. So, it's going to be a tough battle for us. Hopefully, we can get it in. But uh, right now, you know, all eyes on the weather. And, uh, yeah, it's it's ugly outside. But looking forward to talking sports, man. Braves with a good win last night over the Yankees. Uh, Braves have just kind of been... Uh, thorn into the side of new york teams here of late and yeah you gotta love it absolutely if you, if you just dislike new york sports yeah i i dislike a lot of teams uh actually the yankees are my second favorite team that being said i'm completely in preference of the braves and wanting them to knock them out that was a fun one last night we need to talk a little bit about the braves a little bit later today they okay. did have their first injury that's significant to the lineup in quite some time Ozzy well, Alves is yeah. going on the injured list but uh, the Braves did get a decisive victory at Truist Park last night it doesn't sound like anything severe though with him it's just uh yeah the a hamstring tightness that was cramp that's you know I I, I don't know if they ever said what it evolved to if it's still just kind of cramping and soreness that's one thing if it's actually pulled or strained you know they start the right. hamstrings get kind of get tricky so hopefully it did not progress to a, a strain level. But, uh, yeah, some sort of ailment with the hamstring there that is causing a 10-day injured list. Uh, hopefully he gets back soon, though, because he's on more than 30 home or 100 RBI yeah. base for a middle infielder that is his size. That is incredible. And I know that we've kind of bucked the trends of what used to be, uh, you know, what used to be normal in Major League Baseball. We have all, all sorts of players now, but – uh, Albies still not someone that just looking at him, you think, yeah, this would be one of the more powerful infielders in the league, and he has certainly been that this year. And uh, we've not even had to bring up the left-handed versus right-hander splits uh, in quite some time from Albies because he's just had a, a really good year. And moving him to the second spot ended up being very productive. I mean, his office was already great, but when they did that the first of June, it it, it kickstarted yeah. him. It got Olsen going on a whole new level. It, it really jolted the lineup even more than already been going yeah it did and uh yeah yeah you hope it's not anything too terribly bad it doesn't sound like it is but yeah hamstrings any sort of muscle injury like that can be kind of weird but uh his feeling did pretty pretty okay last night yeah nicky lopez goodness (laughs) nicky lopez the braves make a trade to bring nicky lopez in kind of help uh back some things up there with uh with ozzy and then he comes in and what he had two hits in rbi two he had three was it three yeah. hits he had three at least three rbis too yeah. i mean he was i mean it was a heck of a debut for the for uh nicky lopez so yeah it was second game because his second debut, right, second game well, he had a big one this weekend yeah. where he hit a homer drove in four or five pitched an inning yeah um, oh that's right i heard that was him that pitched and yeah, uh threw a shutout inning yeah I just thought, I mean, the the jokes could fly because of how well, he's our next show. Hey, Otani, he's no, been, yeah, he was three, <laughs> he was three of four last night with three R. Three, three, yeah. four, okay. So, welcome to the Braves, Nicky Lopez. Yeah. Goodness, it uh, it can't always be this good, but we'll certainly enjoy it while it is. Uh, and so, uh, they did call up Von Grissom uh, to take the roster spot of Ozzy Albee. So I'm sure we'll see some Grissom over the next ten days. He'd been hitting really well in Gwinnett, and of course, he hit pretty well as an Atlanta Brave last year. Uh, and just um, because of the way the roster sh- shook out, I mean, you've uh, shaken out. You've you've had really good productive players uh, that have been able to kind of keep him from being on the big league roster. But so Von Grissom returns a little bit more on on the Braves a little bit later in the show today. As always, this time of year, guys start with some football though, uh, and the continuation of fall practice. I assume that they'll be moving indoors later this afternoon. 
uh, with uh, all the rain out there right now. But uh, we talked a lot, Tom, yesterday. And, of course, when Brooks joins the show a little bit later, we'll get some of his thoughts from the scrimmage on Saturday. But we talked about most of the, the items from the, the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, we talked quarterbacks. Uh, and some of the statements that were made there that this continues to be a three-quarterback race. We talked running backs and how the running back room seems to be really good, not just at the top, but depth-wise is impressive. The need for wide receivers to step up. I kind of want to start here again because I've we will continue to do our due diligence the quarterbacks and that sort of thing, and we need to talk offensive line as well because none of this will be looking that good if the offensive line is not improved, but – a lot of different names in there, some high profile, and and some guys already standing out. The wide receivers, it's an interesting place because it clearly needed to improve. They brought in clearly different guys, like just different strength guys, some bigger guys, longer guys, guys they hope will run routes better. There's going to be a lot of option routes in this offense, something Hugh Freeze talked about over the weekend. And then you also, on top of that, all these returning guys that are still trying to vie for these spots, trying to fend off some of these newcomers, they're all injured right now. Right. Javarius Johnson, Camden Brown, Malcolm Johnson Jr., and Coy Moore all were listed by Hugh Freeze on Saturdays having some sort of ailment. Now, again, not significant to where weeks and weeks here, but limited here, out here, limited here, that sort of stuff, day-by-day stuff. And so these guys that were already underperforming last year are now, now missing time. Are now missing time. So it really favors the likes of Jair Shorter and Shane Hooks and Caleb Burton, all these new guys that bring the promise of something new. Nick Mardner, another guy, uh, bring the promise of something new. So what do you want to see, Tom, with the wide receiver room? Do you – hope a couple of these guys or or do you still have confidence in some of these guys returning or do you want to be all the new guys almost all the time uh, for these wide receiver spots um i I mean i I think you you need to you need to have some of your guys out there i mean you really want to have like a javarius johnson out there sure i I mean i think javarius johnson can be a really really good wide receiver um so i'd like to see him out there camden brown I like Camden Brown. I not maybe a step less than Javarius Johnson. So I mean, um, he's a sophomore. I, I like yeah. Camden. I I think the potential's still there. He didn't play a whole lot last year. Right. Played a good bit in the Arkansas game, if I recall. Uh, but yeah, no, no, certainly not the experience level of Javarius. Sure. Yep. So I mean, when you have a guy like Javarius Johnson with that type of experience level, you you really want that out there. But now here's the other thing: uh, if this is a system that Hugh Freeze is going to run and the type of system that he wants to run. And if these wide receivers that have been here fit, you know, a little bit, but if they're guys that they have brought in from the transfer portal that they feel like can fit a lot better with what they're trying to do, especially you've brought in some bigger bodied guys and maybe that's what they're trying to do because Hugh Freeze has always had at least a couple of big bodied wide receivers out there. Maybe that's, Maybe that's what Auburn needs, but you you can't just get rid of a Javarius Johnson. I mean, I, the kid is talented. He can be a really good wide receiver. I think if he is coached up properly, I Javarius Johnson can be a really good receiver. And, and I think the same thing about Camden Brown. But um, I mean, they they brought these dudes in from the transfer portal for a reason. It's because they've seen them. They like their size. They like how they fit uh, with what is going on. This type of system they're going to run. So. You're going to have to rely on those guys because 
Yeah, the wide receiver core has been very weak over the last several years. And so if you bring guys in that you think can strengthen that core group, then absolutely that's who needs to be on the field. Yeah, that slot position, that's where Javarius Johnson would have had the upper hand and maybe still does. Caleb Burton is a guy that I think would be the other slot option for you, just purely based off the size. I mean, when you're you're not going to put six six guys, six four guys in the slot usually. And Javarius Johnson at five ten is obviously someone that's been playing the slot. But then Caleb Burton comes in here. He's one of the smaller transfers too. He's five eleven, right. six foot. He's not right. going to be uh, outside too often. Whereas Shane Hooks, you'd be looking for him to be on the outside. If Nick Mardner were to play, which he might be down the depth chart a little bit, maybe Coy Moore still above him. Uh, you'd be looking for those type of guys to be. Uh, outside, even Jair Shorter, who is on the quote shorter end of things, ha, 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 hmm. uh, of some of the transfer guys, he's still like six two. I mean, he's he's can absolutely play outside. So I, I think that that slot is interesting because Johnson's probably the most attractive of the returning receivers in terms of production. Uh, whereas Caleb Burton has gotten a lot of good good publicity. Uh, this fall uh, transfer from Ohio State. A lot's thought of him. We also got to think, and I don't think he'll be outside too much. I wonder what they do with Rivaldo Fairweather because he's going to play. So Rivaldo Fairweather is who I was about to bring up. You know, listed as a tight end sure. right now. You know, does he fit that big body type receiver that you freeze in them once? So do you actually see Fairweather become more of that receiving type guy? than just a pure tight end. But again, I don't know because with that system, how much how much blocking, how much staying at line of scrimmage with your tight ends are you trying to do in this system? Or are you more of a pure pass-catching type guy? Um, I think Fairweather could be that that real big, uh, no pun intended, big, right. but that, that big influence in what happens with that receiving course. Yeah, I mean, they – he, he's very hyped coming in here, and uh, I'm excited to see what he brings. And then the guy from Cincinnati that's coming in here. Martiner. Uh, Martiner. 6'6". Six, six. Um, uh, exactly. Another big guy. You know, I have not seen – I have not really heard how he's doing in camp or anything like that, but, I mean, you just think about when you bring a guy in that's 6'6", six, six, that has that type of collegiate experience. Surely there's something. It, there's got yeah. to be a way that you get a guy that big on the field. So – uh, if, if yeah, I mean, if you're looking for the size, I mean, you've got some size there now. You you don't just have a room full of tiny dudes. I mean, you've got some size, but you also need to have that experience, and not just experience in football, but you need to have that Auburn experience, that SEC experience, and and that's where a guy like Johnson, Javaris Johnson, will get you. But you got to get him healthy. It's where I've kind of evolved my thinking of what I prefer in a wide receiver because when I was younger, when I was in college, and that sort of thing. I was really attracted to these speedsters, these guys that you could jet sweep, and I was kind of right. thinking along the lines of Gus, and it was just like these these shifty guys, quick guys, basically slot type of guys. But as I saw it play out over the last, last several years, and I think about, well, what kind of receiver actually goes to the NFL more times than not, and that sort of thing, I'm ready for some of these bigger receivers. I'm ready for these 6'3", 6'4", yeah. type of guys that are going to be able to make 50-50 plays on the ball that are going to be able to just out physical and and also these type of guys by the way if they're willing if you teach them and if they're willing 
They also end up being better blockers than the smaller guys. Right. I mean, they, they in theory, would manhandle the the six foot one eighty type of corner that you would you would have against them. Again, it doesn't always work out like that. I know speed and quickness matter too, but uh, I'm ready to see this different kind of wide receiver sure. in here. Well, and, and of course, when you think about Hugh Freeze and some of the types of receivers that that he has developed and sent to the NFL. The one that just really jumps out to you is DK Metcalf, a guy who he has had help recruit to Auburn. You know, that, that's an Ole Miss guy who Hugh Freeze has had helping kind of talk to some of these guys and get him. But DK Metcalf six four, and I mean that's a big dude. He, he's six four, built like a you know a brick, you know what house? Yeah, and I mean that's the type of receiver that you expect from Hugh Freeze, and I think that's the type of receiver that that Hugh Freeze likes. And so you hope that that's what you're going to start seeing. Right. Is you're going to start seeing. Well, and Perry Thompson ain't going to be little. You know, I mean, you know, sure. Thompson's like six two or six three. Right. Well, again, but so, that's why you're recruiting yeah, exactly. him. Exactly. And that's also why you're getting guys like DK Metcalf to possibly contact Perry Thompson, who's like, "Hey, listen, I'm DK Metcalf. You saw what he did with me. He can do the same thing yeah. with you. You can be the next DK Metcalf." And I yeah. mean, that's the type of recruiting pitch that Hugh has a guy like that doing. And and again. Yeah, you're you're talking six four. Uh, I've got him listed right now at six four, two hundred thirty five pounds. That's a big dude playing yeah. wide receiver, and that's what you're hoping to see. That's hope what you think that Hugh Freeze likes. That's the kind of the build and the mold of what you're looking for in wide receivers. You're not looking for the the five foot ten, buck fifty, soaking wet type guy. Yeah, he's fast. I mean, he can get down the field and and you know skirt along with everybody. Yeah, Will Hastings, great. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, he's looking for six yeah. four two thirty five that right. can just go up and just absolutely manhandle a D back. Go up for a fifty fifty, take it away, put his put his hand on the forehead of a defensive back and make the dude regret that he ever even covered him and just step over him. I mean, that's what he's looking for, not throw it to the flats, wiggle, 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 and hope that you can get away. So that's what I'm hoping is some of these, like a Fairweather or, or like a Mardner, these guys that are big, big-bodied dudes, get downfield, win some of the one-on-one battles and, and – just a punish a secondary. I mean, that's what you like to see with some of these wide receivers is is punish dudes that come up and cover you. Our guy Sammy Coates. I mean, he's not that big, but Sammy Coates is a relatively big guy. And you know the kind of stuff that like he did against Texas A and M, where a guy comes up and try to tackle him and he just throws him on the ground. He was big from a muscular standpoint. Sure. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But that that's so that's why. Again, I, I I'm not I, I'm not just shooing away the guys that are already here because I do think Javarius Johnson I think his leadership and his experience here is vitally vitally important and I think he is also extremely talented but when you've brought in these big bodied guys and that's kind of you know you know that that's what Hugh Freeze likes to do then that kind of gets you excited that a Fairweather or or somebody is going to be more in play than some of the guys that have already been here. Yeah, a different type of receiver in here for sure. We'll see how everything shakes out in terms of playing time and opportunity and that sort of thing, but a lot uh, wider variety of options for Auburn, the wide receiver room here this fall. We're going to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll get the birthdays and sports also to the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. I just looked outside in time to see a very impressive lightning strike. The Thunder Chickens are near <laughs> uh, if we get to play tonight. Uh, so very wet day right now this afternoon. Hopefully it concludes shortly. We start to dry off and uh, hopefully we play our final week of softball for the year. The playoffs are supposed to be tonight let's get going here on this tuesday let's continue on with birthdays and sports it's time for today's birthdays and sports all right birthdays and sports today we start off with gary kubiak who turned 61 former nfl head coach kubiak was born in houston was an all-state player in football basic baseball and basketball and track as a high schooler at st pius high school of houston go panthers St. Pius? St. Pius. St. Pius Panthers. Played quarterback at Texas A&M. Go Aggies. Where he set several several school and conference records as a three-year starter. Drafted in the eighth round of the 1983 draft by the Denver Broncos. Was a backup for nine seasons in Denver. Being coaching after his retirement, hired as the running backs coach at A&M before turning to the NFL. Three-time Super Bowl champion as an offensive coordinator. One-time Super Bowl champion as head coach of the Broncos. Gary Kubiak turns 61 today. Eric Bieniemy turns 53, offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. Bieniemy was born in New Orleans and moved to California for high school, where he was an All-American running back at Bishop Amont High School in La Punta, California. Goat Lancers, Lancers, La Punta yeah. Lancers. Oh. Or no, you said in La Punta. Where's the, what's the high school? Uh, it's Bishop Amont. Bishop Amont. Bishop Amont okay. High School. So the Bishop of Mott Lancers. Very nice. Played running back at Colorado. Go Buffs. Where he was a two-time All-Big East selection and in 1990 was a unanimous All-American and Big East Player of the Year and National Champion. He's the school's all-time leader in rushing yards and touchdowns. In 1991, he was taken in the second round by the Chargers, started a 10-year playing career. After retiring, he entered coaching, eventually landing as the OC for the Chiefs where he won two Super Bowls. Eric B. Enemy is 53 today. Matthew Judon is 31, linebacker for the New England Patriots. Judon was born in Louisiana and played college football at Grand Valley State. Go Lakers. Nice. Over his five years in college, he broke the D2 record for sacks in a career with 34. He was taken in the fifth round by the Ravens in 2016 and is a four-time Pro Bowler. Apparently, where did you say he was born? Uh, born in Louisiana. Oh, I guess maybe they moved to Michigan. Because sure. I have him at uh, yeah, I have him. At, I have him going to West Bloomfield High School in Michigan. Also, go Lakers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he was a Laker for high school and college. West Bloomfield Lakers, and then a Grand Valley State Laker. Well, go Lakers then. Matthew Judon's thirty-one. 
And Coy Moore is 21, wide receiver at Auburn. Moore was born in Louisiana and was a four-star after leading his high school to a state championship as a senior. Yeah, that was Archbishop uh, Rummel High School in Metairie, Louisiana. Go Raiders. Go Raiders. He signed with LSU in 2020 and transferred to Auburn in 2022. Go Tigers. War Eagle. (laughs) (laughs) Starting last season. Coy Moore is 21 today. And those are the birthdays in sports. Again, Gary Kubiak is 61. Eric B. Enemy is 53. Matthew Judon, 31. And Coy Moore is 21. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9 to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line today. We go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, good afternoon, folks. Uh, you're getting what we would like to give. And, uh, we're in the Sahara Desert down here, believe it or not, next to the Fairhope uh, Mobile Bay. And you're getting all the rain that we uh, can't get. Well, we'll, tr- we'll trade this evening if you'd like. We'll send it down your way. You send us some of that uh, dry air. You're more than welcome to do it, please. Uh, see the bypasses. All right, enough of my whining. Uh, let's get to it, guys, about injuries. I saw this uh, just a few moments ago from uh, uh, yeah, uh, Nathan King. And uh, talking about Corey Moore, today is his more damn happy birthday to him. Uh, he says uh, his ankle should be back in action within the next couple of days of practice. And um, he, says, he said also, sounds like Camden Brown is going to be a bit longer with a hamstring issue. Is that right? Uh, yeah, no, these guys uh, with various injuries. I, I just had Cameron, uh, Camden Brown as a, a ver- various injuries that he's dealt with through fall camp, so hamstring them being the latest. But, uh, yeah, no, the wide receiver room in particular with several of the injuries on the team. Wow. Oh, were these, I mean, uh, as a result of practice, even before practice? I think most of these are during practice. When we spoke to Hugh Freeze to open fall camp, uh, he said that there were really no problems uh, and and only one or two guys limited, nothing significant, and we saw some of those guys out there that day. So uh, I think these are all been in the course of the last week. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, those will, I guess, be, uh, there'll be uh, uh, resolve these injuries by the time uh, maybe the first or second week of the season. I think most of them before that. I, I don't know. In the case of Camden Brown, his sounds a little bit more significant, and then. If it holds him out that long, then he's going to lose uh, some places in the depth chart. So hopefully he gets back soon. But, uh, yeah, the, the all the guys from returning from last year seem to be the guys in that wide receiver room having a little bit of an injury problem. Okay. Moving on, you talked about wide receivers. Um, I don't know if I maybe didn't, wasn't listening uh, uh, very well. Uh, did you happen to mention um, Mr. Shane Hooks? Uh, yeah, we we brought up hooks at, at times. I think Tom was focused kind of on Rivaldo Fairweather, Nick Martiner there. But yeah, no, I brought up hooks before that as the the Jackson State transfer and uh, another one of those bigger body receivers at six four that had that Sports Center highlight and everything. I'm 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 hopeful for Shane Hooks to end up starting and 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 making a big impact. Well, uh, according to Jason Caldwell's uh, call today, he says that uh, Shane Hooks since arrived on campus has made an immediate impact. And that Auburn's wide receiver, uh, Marcus Davis, coach, uh, said one of the reasons why they went for it uh, is because of his uh, skill set and his, I guess, his height, six foot four, uh, in the offseason. He said it's paying off. Uh, Davis says when you ask him to do something, he already has understanding behind it. And uh, he said uh, if, if he could uh, pick someone, that he would immediately, I guess, 
uh, or uh, say uh, that he's ready to go, it'd be uh, Shane uh, Shane Hooks. So he sounds to be like a really, I guess, outstanding wide receiver. Yeah, again, uh, he is going to be one of the ones that are the, the highest optimism for and highest ceilings. Uh, obviously, coming from Jackson State, there is that gap and uh, in talent from yeah. the FCS to the FBS, especially to the SEC. But again, he made some highlight plays at Jackson State. And so you, you do have to be wary of the difference in the two levels of, of ball. But uh, I do think most people still looking at the eye test feel that that he is someone that's right. going to have the opportunity to make a big impact. That's the, You can't coach size. And I think the I think this coaching staff are looking at these bigger bodied wide receivers to come in here and make a difference. And yes, he is one of them. And you know, uh, Norm, typically I would agree with you about coming from an FCS. However, uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, we had to have a rally, rally behind uh, TJ Finley, I believe, to uh, beat Jackson State. Uh, that was Georgia State. Uh, Georgia, Georgia State's okay, in the well, FBS, but yeah, uh, they're all in the states. Uh, but <laughs> these teams have. Quite uh, uh, sometimes you have quite a number of uh, really talented uh, players that somehow got overlooked. And there's another one that they talk about it here in Jason Caldwell's uh, column here, uh, Jair Shorter from North Texas. Yes, yep, 600 or 700 yard receiver from North Texas last year. Yeah, he's six foot two and weighs 209 pounds. Yep, and that's going to be pretty standard in this this room. Um, Six uh, two is actually, I mean, again, that's about average, if not. On the shorter side compared to some of these guys, 209 is going to gonna be right there in the middle. Well, Davis said about him, he said he's talented. Uh, he can win the 50-50 ball. And to be that big, he says he comes out of his breaks at a good pace. And he plays the game physically. And he says, we're glad we got him. Yeah, so, again, what's, what's going to be common in this new look wide receiver room is going to feel big for a little while just comparing it to all the receivers of the past and you know Tom even brought up a guy like Sammy Coates that felt big he's only 6'1 I mean he was not incredibly large so we're talking about Jair Shorters being kind of right in the middle of these guys at 6'2 so all these guys pretty big and uh, the athleticism that they bring to is going to to potentially stand out and give them opportunities to be big time playmakers all right speaking with our football team guys uh, this is an interesting article. I want to get, I want to run, uh, run this question by you as well, all, all you guys. Uh, the uh, column I'm referring to is by Brandon Marcello, and it's called "What If." Have you seen that column? I have not. What if he says how three SEC foes could beat Invincible Georgia? Okay. Now, before I tell you who his three teams are, I'd like to hear your thoughts, guys. Who are the Huh, I'd say teams that have the coaching talent and the players skill talents that could plausibly, plausibly upset Georgia this year. He picks three teams in the SEC that could do it. Well, Alabama is definitely one of well, them. Nope, they're, they're not because they don't play. Um, no, well, I'm, well, not Alabama. Yeah, in no, the, in the this article is about three oh, on Georgia's the, schedule this oh, year. Oh, on the regular yeah. season, I thought you were talking yeah. about. No, the regular ACC schedule oh, for Georgia. Okay. So Very Tennessee, good. Auburn, I, I think would probably be two of the three. Third being Ole Miss, maybe. Well, you know, two out of three ain't, ain't bad, right? Okay, I pass. Right. Pass or fail, and I pass. South I Carolina. South Carolina, very good. Okay. Very good. Okay, so, um, wait, what do you think, guys? Um, plausibility. Who has among those three teams the most plausible likelihood? 
will beat upset Georgia. Uh, Tennessee, because it's at Tennessee. Um, right. But that's the end, almost the end of the season. So you're saying they're going to go undefeated then. Uh, well, I mean, it's a very good possibility. I mean, you really don't see any reason why not. I mean, sure, I – Anytime you play here in Auburn, it's difficult. But I mean, Georgia has kind of owned Auburn even in Jordan Hare Stadium, so not right. to not to you know don't know about that one. South Carolina, it's it's in Athens. South Carolina has been a thorn in the side of Georgia, so I mean there is a possibility. But I mean, talent wise, Georgia's just a heck of a lot better than South Carolina. And who was the other? Well, Tennessee. The other, you know, South Carolina, well, I said Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, um, you know that was uh, it. Auburn. Carolina. Yeah. South Carolina, yeah. Auburn, and Tennessee. Okay. South Carolina is a prohibitive underdog. Uh, they're a 24-point underdog right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I want to push back a little bit on the Thorn in, in, in Georgia's side. I realize that, that South Carolina uh, beat them a few years ago, shockingly, uh, in Athens. Uh, since then, though, it has it's been, been pretty lopsided. It's been lopsided the last three or four years. Uh, so, and, and that's with Beamer, of course. So, Again, that win was not even with Shane Beamer. So, I, again, I, I I think South Carolina would be pretty good. We just talked about them yesterday as the the number three team in the East. So, if you're looking at it that way, absolutely. But since that shocker in 2019, it's been 45-16, 40-13, and 48-7. So, I don't think that there's necessarily a trend there. I think that was a more of a one-off whoops more than it is as South Carolina's figured out something against them. Uh, but we'll see. It is in Athens, correct, uh, it's this in year. Athens. So that, that, that to me, uh, that, that would – look, they'll have to pay attention just because South Carolina is probably the third best team in the division behind Tennessee and Georgia. But, uh, again, that my, would be in, surprising. In, in 2019, South Carolina beat Georgia in Athens. I know, but, I'm, so. <laughs> but that's, that's pre – Again, that is pre-Shane Beamer. Oh, I know. It's pre-Georgia winning their first title, and I think oh, yeah. Kirby Smart has put a – again, remember the remember that the last few years. Well, uh, Brandon Marcel says the only likely weakness uh, for Georgia is on their defensive end. Uh, you guys uh, – do, you, do you agree with that sentiment or that uh, observation? Uh, on the, I, well, I mean, they they've still got question at quarterback because nobody they have not really said who it's going to be. Now they've got five star quarterbacks lined up there, and I mean, uh, they they're really looking forward to the kid that's coming in uh, next year. But I mean, right now there's got to be questions at quarterback because none of them are proven. I mean, so you you have to wonder what's going to be there. I, I would think that everything else, because of the way they've recruited, is fine. Uh, if there are other positions at the skill positions. Maybe there's a issue at defense. Uh, I mean, they returned seven starters, so okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. Football. I'm not sure where the. I'm not sure where the rub is against their defense. I mean, they got seven okay. starters coming back, and they've been hell on wheels to deal with the last couple of years. Well, Tom, according to Brandon's uh, uh, numbers here, he says that uh, the Bulldogs have lost ten of the eleven starters from the 2021 uh, national championship to the NFL. Yeah, I mean that's two years ago. It's not in reference to last year, though. I mean, again, I think that's uh, we love Brandon, but I think his he's trying to make a you know make that fit the point there. I I do think Georgia's pass rush has been the least impressive thing about their defense at times. They've produced players all over the defense, but usually on the defensive line, it's kind of been guys in the middle. It's felt like like a Jordan Davis or something. They they produced at all levels, but. 
I feel like their run defense was maybe better than their pass rush and maybe even their secondary better than pass rush. So again, if you're picking of those elements what's weaker, sure, uh, but I still think that the defense as a totality is still going to be awesome and it's still going to be one of the best three defenses in the country, if not the best. And so I, I still think that Georgia as a whole would probably be more focused on making sure uh, the, the offense was more sound, in particular the quarterbacks. They'll have the wide receivers too because they've got yeah. McConkey, Brock Bowers as a tight end. Yeah. Uh, so and I think I trust their offensive line to move move people enough to run well. So of all the things I'm with Tom, I, I think it would still be quarterback more than – than uh, yeah. anything defensively. Yeah, so their their defense didn't even allow uh, 300 yard average last year and barely 14 points per game, and you've got seven of them back returning. I <laughs> that's a that's pretty scary. Uh, I mean, when you have a defense that good and there's seven of them coming back, I don't know how anybody could say that they're going to drop on, in defense. I, well, he just said again pass rush. He didn't say well, whole uh, defense. Just said pass rush. Okay. All right. So. For Auburn to pull an upset this season, would they do it on the ground or by air? Uh, or by prayer? Here's what I will say. If Auburn pulls an upset this year, it's going to be through the air. Uh, because, yeah, I I, because I think that defenses understand that Auburn has a good run game. They understand who Jarquez Hunter is. They know Damari Austin. They're going to try to stop that. But when it, there's uncertainty at quarterback right now, we're assuming it's going to be Peyton Thorne. Uh, defenses are going to line up and just shut the run down, and they're going to force Auburn to beat them in, in passing because you, you're probably going to have an unproven quarterback back there. You've definitely got an unproven at wide receiver. So for Auburn to make some damage against a big-time team, it, it's going to be that they start hurting them through the air and loosen a defense up to where they can't just strictly focus on stopping Auburn's run game. And I also think it'd be about creating a bunch of negative plays and turnovers because right. I, I don't think Auburn would score a bunch of points on Georgia without the aid of, of short fields and potentially a special teams or defensive touchdown. Uh, so because, again, if we're questioning Georgia's quarterback situation, well – I'm not sure that we can feel infinitely more confident about Auburn's. And then again, I think Georgia's receiver room is more proven because of Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkey, and I think there's another wide receiver I'm forgetting too. Uh, and so I, I, I think it'd be more about chaos plays. It'd be more about flipping fields and a lower scoring game. I do not think you would be able to get involved in a in a higher scoring game there. Okay. Uh, Brandon gave his prediction for Auburn uh, winning. Um, 28 to 17. Mm, again, <laughs> I, I mean, we all would love for it to happen. I'm just, I'm not going to. That's a lot of points sure. for us to score. Well, and again, I think the hope is that Hugh Freeze offenses will click that off easily at, uh, once they get going, but I'm just not sure with all the things that needed to improve from last year, if they've checked all those boxes enough. Again, if they score – I'm not saying they can't score 28, but they would need immense help. It would not, to me, be four drives of 70 yards, 12 plays, etc. They would need a short field here. They would need a turnover there and that sort of thing. And yeah, I think you projects just, two interceptions. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That That's something they would they would need. And, again, I, that, I know this. the point of this article is just to find the three – you know, plausible as as was the term, but again, that obviously it's a, a very large uphill climb. And it's been how many years now? Uh, how many consecutive games have we lost to Georgia? 
I think the last time Auburn beat them was 2017 during the regular year. So yeah. they lost in the conference title in 17, 18, 19. It's three, 20 is four, 21, five, 22, six. Should be six in a row that they've lost. Okay. 19 right. was close, but 19, they didn't get that fourth down conversion they needed. Right. Okay, guys, uh, that's all I've got. I look forward to hearing uh, the rest of, uh, of the show later on on uh, the podcast. And uh, I hope that uh, the uh, Thunder Chickens might be able to pull in a, a game tonight. But if not, then you'll do it next week. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they, they won't move us till later this week. They'll move us to next Tuesday, as you just said. So, yeah, it, uh, it would be next. It's just always going to be on a Tuesday, rain or shine. Okay, and if you want to feel bad about anybody, uh, the name is Mr. Jared Cole. This is one of those bad beats. He, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, his name is not Jared Cole. That's who lost a game for him. Apparently, this guy was a better. Uh, he he risked $10 to win $955,000. Whoa. And his parlay was the San Francisco Giants, which he won, the Dodgers, uh, he had that over, uh, and then he took... Yankees to win against the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what the score was, don't you? Well, I know what it ended up being. Yankees had a lead in the ninth, and it uh, they blew it. Blew it. They blew yep. it. They lost what eight to seven, wasn't it? Yep, and I think it was seven three in the ninth, something like that. They blew a pretty big yeah. lead. He had nine hundred five thousand dollars in his hands. Whoa, that was the bad beat. Okay, well, um, that's why they're called bad beats. So Very anyway, guys, so. thank you for your time. And uh, y'all have a safe afternoon, and hopefully Mike gets a game uh, tonight, but if not, and then uh, hopefully next week. But until then, where you guys? Where you'll see. Appreciate that phone call, as always. That's retired Word name Steve. Joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line, we're down to three or four more minutes left in this hour. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 or toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 How much would you hate a team if you lost hundreds of thousands of dollars by a four-run blown lead. Yeah. That, that's tough. Mm. And that also, by all accounts, many people feel that, that pretty much ended the Yankee season, too. I mean, right. they, they were – I think they're now only one or two over five hundred at the time. Obviously, they had two less losses, get a dub there. Still, I mean, even though it's last place in the AL East, all those teams are above five hundred, so all of them are within four or five of a playoff spot. But this the – the agonizing defeat there, uh, having to go to Atlanta to play the Braves, knowing how those type of series usually go. Again, that, that felt like the the nail in the coffin for the Yankees and for that guy that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because of that. Not that he bet that he was going to win that, but uh, still that would be I hope I, I hope he's a Yankees fan because otherwise he's never gonna never gonna like yeah, the Yankees like, again. Yeah. <laughs> never never trust them again. Yep. Uh, that's also why I don't bet on sports. No, yeah, definitely. If I if I'm going to do something with my money like that, it it better be in my control. Yeah, I, just, don't, I don't mind sitting at a casino and maybe playing some blackjack because I can control some things. Some yeah. things, obviously, I can't control the what the cards are, but I can control what I do and how I play. So that's within my control. But if I just put it on a sports game, I have no control. Yeah. None none whatsoever. I am just I am at the mercy of whatever somebody may or may not do. Have you ever been to Vegas? Yes. 
a couple of times. What's the is the game of choice? Blackjack, poker, for, slots. For me, for me, for me, if I'm going to sit down and play a game, it's going to be blackjack. Now I will sit at a slot machine and fool around with it, but um, I do know how to play poker. But man, it just it gets ah. It, I, I just prefer blackjack. I like the speed of that game. It is it's much a, faster. Yeah, it's much faster, and uh, it's not as much. Uh, strategy it's not it's not that it's not strategy i'm trying to think it's like i don't know um cutthroat maybe is, is yeah. because when you're sitting at a poker table and you've got and you're kind of going against people and stuff like that yeah. i mean and, and people get really really aggravated like if you're not doing something the specific right way or something that people at poker tables are, can get really ornery I've never really had that problem at a blackjack table. It's just everybody's kind of nice, friendly, and you just kind of get your cards and you play and you do what you do. Poker just gets a little more vicious, it feels like. I've never done any of it um, as far as going out to Vegas or casino or anything like that. I feel like if I did, I feel like I'd be tempted to do poker over the others because I've watched – Here's you know, I'm outing myself – Growing up, I watched an exorbitant amount of late night poker. Sure, if you ever watched like Fox when it's Fox Sports South, that have World Series of Poker on right. a lot, uh, or excuse me, World Poker Tour. I want to get these right. Someone's going to be very mad at me. World Poker yeah. Tour, and then World Series of Poker was right. what came on ESPN, and I watched some of that too. And so for a while, I knew an uncomfortable amount of poker players and watched a decent amount. Sure, and so I feel like Texas Hold'em. Now some of the other stuff, I, I get I get kind of iffy on Omaha. I think Omaha or something. I, some of those I, I don't know. Some I, of the other I know stuff, how, I know I how to know. play Texas Hold'em. A bunch of that other stuff yeah. I don't. Texas Hold'em's great. Yeah. Uh, I just the other stuff though flies by me. I feel like I'd go that route. I feel like I would go uh, for that because that's what I've watched, and I right. also feel like there is some control. Like I know if I draw, if I have a seven three. And offsuit. I know I'm not. I ain't going out on that. Sure. You know, give give me the ace king or give me a pocket queens, and right. then I'm like, okay, then we'll we'll start to go with this. Oh, yeah. well, and maybe I'd still maybe I'm still in a bad place. Maybe someone else yeah. gets, ends up full house. But I just know I just know around a poker table you can get vicious. You know, especially you know you may have your strategy, and that strategy goes against what another player thinks should be happening and it may hurt them in a way and then they get aggravated and it just it gets people get really really butthurt yeah. around a poker table i've never experienced that around a blackjack table it's just you get your two cards and you either hit stay or whatever and move on yeah out of time though for hour number one uh fun little sidebar there coming up more in hour number two and hour number three again preview of lsu football in hour number three as well as the sports call five at five and at four thirty coach karen hoppa the auburn soccer team will join us too. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally. 
or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Still hoping to be joined by Brooks Childers a little bit later as company business continues to company business. take a long period of time. Coming up at 4.30, Coach Karen Hoppe, the Auburn soccer team. She will join us as uh, the season starts for Auburn soccer on Thursday. But for now, we go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 Next up on the show this afternoon, Die Hard Die. Die Hard Die with us. Die Hard Die, how are you, sir? Hey, War Eagle, guys. How are y'all? War Eagle, doing well. Getting ready for uh, the season, so we'll make uh, better attempts to, to listen. <laughs> um, so I got a football question, but before that, since you guys were talking poker and blackjack, man, you must have never had an Asian lady on a, a blackjack table with you because they'll yell, they'll yell at you if you hold in the wrong hand. Um, and that's not just a one-encounter kind of thing. Um, but speaking of bla- uh, Texas Hold'em, um, we love the game when we're here at Auburn. And, uh, you know, I live like a mile away from y'all by Chihuahua, and I'll start bringing y'all coffees again once football <laughs> season goes. But um, we kind of help out this elderly lady that if anyone golfs around here, they probably know uh, Miss Chen. And um, I met her son a couple times, and he came home and, and thanked us for kind of what we do for his mom. And um, we're talking poker. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I got a couple bracelets. I'm like, what is he talking about? And I Googled him, and he's got two World Series poker bracelets. Wow. And, uh, he's got, a, like, a whole poker, um, if you if you Google it, it's like the, the Chen theory or something like that. And <laughs> so he got someone poker famous a mile away from the studio. Um, now onto the football thing, uh, you know, I was very upset when we fired Gus because I knew we'd have a much bigger chance of going downhill than up and, you know, losing Bo was a heartbreak for me and look what he's doing elsewhere, you know, staying his, what, fifth year? Um, yep. One last year at Oregon. Yeah. Which is just sickening, you know, that he had so much love for this place and we treat him like crap. But uh, maybe we have to get worse before we get better, and I'm I'm definitely getting excited with what's going on. Um, but with that being said, Hugh Freeze seems to be getting all the credit. Um, is none of it going to Cadillac? Why is this, you know, Cadillac brought our year back to life last year with four wins while that horrible Ole Miss coach lost four, and the fact that some fans wanted them. You're not Auburn fans. You're not welcome here. Something's wrong with you. Um, but... Why, why is Cadillac not getting any uh, credit? And I'll hang up and I'll listen. Thanks. Sure, appreciate the phone call. That is Die Hard Die joining us today on Sports Call. Yeah, I think that the question about credit here, recruiting-wise, look, I think it's, I think Cadillac deserves credit. I'm not going to say he doesn't. I think that would be misleading. But I think what's so obvious to point to with the recruiting differences is comparing headman to headman. And that's what we've done a lot of the time because Cadillac was on that staff last year and it was not helping much at all. I mean, he was holding some things together, but there was not a lot to hold together. 
uh, in terms of recruiting. And they were so far behind that, I mean, it, it was hard for anyone to be clearly doing a lot positive. Now, obviously, what he did on the field was incredibly positive. That Texas A&M game, again, people are going to remember for a long time. Uh, and that's impressive considering it was it was not a very good team last year. But that 5-17 and 17 will be remembered because of what Cadillac did at the end. Um, recruiting, though-wise, is what we're talking about a lot. And we've seen that – well, Cadillac's a part of the equation right now, for sure. And all the assistants – if you go on these various sites, 247, on three, they will list some sort of co-recruiter. Uh, usually that is helping, and it's usually position coach. And I think that why we're not talking that a lot about Cadillac is that these guys are not running backs. These guys are not all guys. I know Cadillac has an elevated role with the staff, but you know he is a part of what they're doing, but it's also on some of these other position coaches on the defensive side of the ball in particular, where they've gotten the majority of their, their commits of late. Um, and so it's these position guys, and then it is freeze a lot because – we're comparing what Brian Harson did and what he didn't do, what he struggled with, what he wasn't willing to do, versus what Hugh Freeze has been willing to do. And that's part of being the head man. The head man gets a lot of the blame when it goes poorly. He gets a lot of the credit when it goes well, even if there are other avenues to that are deserving of that credit. And so, again, I, I think Cadillac still deserves credit for what's going on, but that kind of falls out of just his jurisdiction now. It goes into the jurisdiction of Freeze overseeing everything, and we know the history of Freeze recruiting. Obviously, we know the, the scandal that ensued, but we know the ability to recruit that Ole Miss that was clearly there but the whole time he was there, uh, and we, we see how different it has been from the moment he's gotten here. So that's why I believe that he – uh, has been way more talked about than in Cadillac. Not to say Cadillac doesn't all of a sudden mean anything or it's not very valuable and not a part of obviously keeping things together last year. I think that it's just because you see the clear difference in head head coaches and you see the the huge players not only on offense but on defense, which is a staff wide thing and obviously defensive position coaches being involved there too. Anything you want to add, Tom, to any of that? No, no. Good. I mean, you all right. you covered all the bases on all that right. for me. There, there you go. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's all the the main stuff there. But uh, again, it is exciting to be able to be giving you a a, a credit rundown rather than a blame pie uh, to why things are the way that they are and that they are have improved so vastly already in the recruiting process up to 14th. And again, we know the the average ranking there ends up being in the top five. I did not get to this yesterday, speaking of recruiting. We uh, we talked a little bit about T.J. Lindsay, the new recruit uh, for Auburn yesterday, but we did not talk about that. I do have a date for you on Kamari and Franklin, the four-star, borderline five-star defensive lineman. He really would be five-star if not for a very, very different ranking by on three. Yeah. He's like top 20 or top 25 in the other three services, but he's 200-something on on, on on three's just individual site. When they make the industry ranking, he's up to 37th. But this, it, it, basically, I wouldn't be shocked 
if we have a point in October somewhere, whenever they reevaluate November, where they reevaluate players, I wouldn't be shocked if on three ends up boosting up Kamari and Franklin up several spots, maybe even a hundred spots. Uh, and then that would affect the industry ranking too. But the number 37 player in the industry ranking, Kamari and Franklin, he does have a visit date of August, or not visit date, I'm sorry, a commitment date of August the 19th. So that is this weekend for Kamari and Franklin. And that would be another big get. The read on him is that Auburn leads, but it's not over. Yeah. Uh, the read on him is that I think Tennessee's involved uh, and maybe one other. I, uh, I, th- I, I think Tennessee is the main one, put it that way. And so Franklin would be another big get and another big get on the defensive side of the ball. I know, Tom, that you said you wanted to see that balance. We've kind of seen more defensive guys than offensive guys. Uh, but I think that Franklin has trended in a pretty positive direction and we're certainly not going to be saying no uh, to guys of this caliber even if you have 20 guys on the defensive side of the ball uh, I think maybe Ole Miss is the other one for Franklin now that I'm looking at it he is from the state of Mississippi Mississippi, but signs have been positive to Auburn and he is again another top 40 or 50 player you have to be careful because again the signs pointed great for Auburn for 24 hours for Flory Bedunga this weekend it ended up going a completely different way signs pointed well for Cam uh, Cam Coleman a couple months ago and he went to A&M off the radar so again I I can't tell you with certainty but uh, it it seems to be in a good good place for Auburn and Franklin and again that would be another player that just simply the Brian Harson years Auburn was not getting yeah, uh, I, I think Auburn and a lot of the folks feel com- confident with with Auburn and, and their chances with them. But yeah, like you said, uh, we've had our hearts ripped out a few times here lately. Uh, but yeah, he's he's another big big piece that that Auburn could potentially get, and you like to see it. I mean, like you said, you mentioned Harson. I mean, we we had two years of everybody just kind of wondering what in the world's going on. You know, how are you not recruiting? And you're, you're really seeing a push for some of these big five star guys, and so. Get him. I, you know, uh, the more the merrier. And another thing I do want to say about Calic Williams, too, um, as Die Hard Die asked about him, is I think that you also need to give credit. I think the credit to, to Williams also pretends to what they ended up doing with last year's class because obviously when they're piecing together stuff in December, January, as Freeze is just getting here and just getting acclimated. Now, granted, he said it was the first thing he's going to do is hit the recruiting trail. That's how these coaches have to go about it. But but Cadillac's the reason some of those relationships were maintained enough to set up Auburn to be in the right. position where they could salvage the class last year and get it into the top 25 or 30 as opposed to the 50s and 60s that had been there. So, I, again, I don't want to make it sound like we've just forgotten that he's existed or anything like that, and he's still very much part of this staff and about the – processes and development of recruiting and, and development here but I just think that the freeze element is just so obvious because sure. of the differences between the last administration and this well you know Hugh Freeze is going to be the guy that, that kind of finishes things off but you know Hugh Freeze is also that guy that helps you know kind of target the guys that they want he, he wants that staff to go after you know and the staff go and make the visits and kind of get the get the ball rolling and but Hugh Freeze has is the finisher I mean, he's the head coach, so 
he's going to be the guy that finishes the deal with these guys. But yeah, Cadillac is is out there hitting that recruiting trail, doing what he can. Our guy Travon Reed's helping out with that. Zach Etheridge. I mean, some of these guys that have been here are a part of that. And you you can't you can't you just can't put it all at Hugh Freeze's feet, which you know people will. But yeah, I mean that entire staff is doing a great job of recruiting. But Hugh Freeze is the guy that finishes it off. I mean, ultimately the head coach is the one that uh, is is usually going to be that deciding factor. Yeah, again, that uh, they th- some services again. I, I think two four seven. This is done a lot, uh, where they will actually go out and rank like assistant recruiters right. and that sort of thing. Everyone would put. I give you an example. Like if you went on to on three right now, everyone will show you like who also assisted recruiting. So for Demarcus Riddick, okay, that's a big big one. Like they'll put on there that Josh Aldridge was right. also a prime was the primary recruiter. Well, right. that makes sense. He is the position coach sure. that Demarcus Riddick would work with. So again, when you get elevated to staff, you kind of have your hands in a lot of different of these guys. But ultimately, the primary recruiter is oftentimes not always oftentimes the the position coach because well that's who they're going to work with every sure. single day and in all the meetings and yes the head coach pops his head in here and there and defense coordinator and all that but again that's why you hear a lot of these guys they'll talk about relationships with head coaches and coordinators stuff because they'll get asked about them but oftentimes their actually most coveted relationship is with those position coaches and, and that sort of thing we're going to take our first time out of our number two one more segment when we come back then at 4 30 we will have an interview with auburn head soccer coach karen hoppa a little bit later again at five o'clock the sports call five at five and a preview of lsu football still a lot ahead here on this tuesday edition of sports call stay tuned more in just a moment To join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Back to Sports Call Inside, your 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Auburn soccer head coach Karen Hoppe will join us. Excited about that. Previewing the 2023 season, just two days away for Auburn soccer. They've already had a couple exhibitions. I know this will shock you, Tom, but they had one last week, and uh, it rained, and it, oh. or it had lightning, and they had a delay, and... They got it in, but it was shortened, and yeah, all, all the weather mayhem. So we are now looking better on radar, and we think we might play tonight. So we're optimistic about that. Of course, we'll 
tell everybody how bad it went tomorrow. <laughs> but hey, we got our win last week, so we did. I I'm I'm content for the year. Next year, next year we'll look towards. I mean, we're trying to win tonight, but uh, next year we'll look for trying to being a truly competitive and team that might advance or something like that. Um, couple things want to hit on here before we get to that Coach Hoppe interview. Vanderbilt. That usually doesn't start a football conversation, and this is not really a full football conversation. Vanderbilt First Bank Stadium is going through renovations. Good. Spending money on facilities, keeping up with the Joneses. All the SEC schools are improving something. Cool. Awesome. There's one problem. They play week zero. That's coming up soon. 11 days. Vanderbilt, Hawaii at First Bank Stadium. The problem is those renovations are not complete yet, and they're not particularly close. No. And so I'm not – I've tried to been confirm if it's going to be this way all year. It might be. But for the first game of the year at least, their working attendance is only going to be 28,000 yep. because they're not going to have the end zones completed. Does that not scream Vandy to you? Or are you still disappointed in them? Oh, that's that is absolutely Vanderbilt, and uh, this was it was actually brought up during SEC media days when we were in Nashville. Uh, somebody went by their stadium and took a picture of all the construction going on, and I mean, they like it, it's literally the just the dirt work being done in that end zone. They don't even have if they're expanding their stadium or whatever. They don't even have like the the metal. Uh, braces that would like go up that where you could look at it and go, hey, that's going to be part of a stadium. It's literally just flat ground dirt work that's going on. And this was at media days, and people were already posting pictures at that point going, uh, Vandy, what's up? You realize that <laughs> you've got a game in just a few weeks. And I mean, it, it like, it, like it, literally, when you're talking about the first parts of of when a uh, construction project takes place, when you just you churn up the dirt and you kind of grade it off and get it smoothed out, that's what this looked like. And yeah. and yeah, here we are with getting ready to start the season, and yeah, they will they will basically just have sideline seats, and that's it. And I mean that that was already a very tiny stadium, and now you're taking a whole part of it out, and so you're just going to have the sideline seats. Yeah. Um, Not a good look for me. And, and, of course, this is relevant to Auburn as Auburn. This is the one time Auburn does go to Vanderbilt and play a football game. And, look, I could could make the joke that I expected more out of the smarter institution in the league. (laughs) Uh, I know that construction workers are involved and all that. Um, It is disappointing, though. I've looked – at ticket prices for Vandy and Auburn. And it has made them obviously be higher. Look, there's a good alumni base in Nashville uh, of Auburn supporters. If you go on StubHub, and I don't really love StubHub slash Ticketmaster and all these places because they have fees. I, my, If anyone cares, which you don't, but here it is anyway. If anyone cares, I like TickPick. That's my preferred choice. TickPick has a slightly higher per seat price, but they have no fees. So what you see is what you're paying. Uh, whereas you get on StubHub Ticketmaster, it's like, oh, a $75 ticket. Well, it's actually 100 after fees, actually 110 So it ends up being a little cheaper on TickPick. Not infinitely, but a little bit. So say that ticket would probably be 90 
on, on there. And then it's like, oh, well, that ticket's a little more expensive, but then there's no fees. You, you make it back. Uh, the cheapest, the get-in price for a pair of tickets for Auburn and Vandy right now on StubHub is $79 each. Which, wow. to be quite frank with you, is just alarming because it's a Vandy football game and $80 to go. But it speaks to two things. One, the alumni base of Auburn, and two, that way they have ten to 12,000 less seats than they planned on having uh, at this juncture and that they're not selling the end zone. So we'll see if that gets alleviated. My feeling is it's not, that that no, is no. going to be a thing uh, and that they're going to have to play with 28,000 <laughs> this fall. Uh, th- that stadium was in nowhere near... It usually takes a year and a half to to build. You know, yeah. it looked like they were building on you know an end zone section. It takes a while to do that. And, and again, like I said, this literally looked like they were just doing the grading work and the dirt work to yeah. prepare for construction. You know, it's not like there was, hey, you know, give us a couple of weeks, let's put a couple of bolts in here and get this thing secured, and we'll be ready to go. It's like no, I mean, it literally just the beginnings of the work was starting to get done when we were at media days yeah the ball was was clearly dropped yeah. uh, on that one so that one uh is is rough uh, one other bit of news before we get to karen hoppa so this one is more positive um i suppose unless you want the super super conferences and that is today was an important day for florida state and the acc today is the last day that any team, Florida State being the main one, could leave the conference and be ready to go somewhere else for 2024. And that deadline is passing as we speak, and they have not done anything, they being Florida State. So Florida State's going to be in the ACC another year. This round of this this round of relocation, realignment in college athletics is quieting. It's not all quiet on the Western Front because we still got to figure out what's going on with Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State. But mass chaos on the Atlantic Coast will not be happening with right. Florida State. I I am good with that. I told you my stance multiple times. We've talked about it a lot. I don't my preference is not the 20 to 24 team leagues that this has been heading towards. My preference is we still have eight to nine to ten conferences, and they all have a, a shot at it, even though obviously the smaller conferences have been uh, way behind the eight ball and their chance has been limited. That's fine. There's going to be better conferences than the other, but I don't want there to only be 60 or 70 teams in the FBS and only three or four conferences that house those teams. So I'm, I'm good with the ACC staying, and I hope it does. I don't know what will happen to Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State. Uh that's still relevant. Stanford, as we've talked about, while their football prowess has been lacking at times and basketball to a degree, the rest of their programs are tremendous. Yeah. Still a big school. And their academics. And academics, obviously, tremendous. Sure. Uh, and I don't, you know, these other teams, Oregon State, that, you know, Oregon State's in the AP Top 25. Yeah. <laughs> I know history says they're not, but they are this year. Cal, obviously. They bring, with, they bring the baseball prowess. Yeah. Oh, awesome at baseball. Absolutely yeah. awesome. And then. Cal Stanford has a rivalry, so Cal's important for that. Then Washington State exists too. Yeah, uh, they're kind of out. There. They're out there. Clay Thompson went there. He's good at basketball. Uh, but that's they've ba- had a couple of decent football teams yeah. back, mainly with Mike Leach. Yeah, uh, well, for a while and, there. yeah, that. But before that, with uh, uh, Drew Bledsoe. Okay. So they've had a couple of teams, sure. but I mean nothing to yeah. nothing sparse. To yeah, very I mean, sparse. Yeah. So 
the question is if they end up merging with the Mountain West or with the AAC. There's still a couple of coveted teams in each league. San Diego State's of value. I'm surprised people have not valued Boise State. I could be missing the mark. I have continued to see nothing on them, but just yeah. program prestige-wise, would you rather have Boise or any of the other teams there? I'm taking Boise, but I just I guess <laughs> – Limited stuff can happen in Idaho. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, uh, limited population. Well, I mean, you see, they've had their couple of good, good little runs there with football, but I mean, I don't think that they're any sort of a threat in any sort of other athletic venture. Yeah, that but I'm really Nate, aware most of. of them aren't though. Like, like appeal to me of why Wyoming is valuable to you, or um, why. You know, Fresno State has a basketball year or two, but I would say even Boise's been on the bubble a year or two. Like, yeah. I don't know if there's vast difference. San Diego State's had more years than not. Uh, San Diego State just had a great year. So, again, if you want to sell me on San Diego State above anyone else in that West, fine. I, I can I can buy that. But everyone else, I don't know. If, I mean, Boise's – again, we're also talking about, remember, football is still the most important right, yeah. thing, and, and Boise – is best at that. And they're kind of a brand because of the blue turf. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I get it. I know there's its limitations because of where it is, but I'm just saying, it, beggars can't be choosers. Right. Uh, and, and so I don't know if that will end up being a merger with the Mountain West. I don't know if the AAC will have something to do with this. Again, I at least can buy the AAC because, well, look, it is the American Athletic Conference. As long as you, if you are in America, you qualify. And right. Geographically speaking, yes, we're talking about small schools like Florida Atlantic, UAB, etc., Charlotte, having to go out to Palo Alto or or wherever, Pullman, Washington, good Lord. But still, it's the American Conference. I put no geographic boundaries on the name. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But again, the moral of that story is Florida State not leaving the ACC and so our conference realignment, the dust is starting to settle. We will see what becomes of those last four Pac-12 holdovers. If the Pac-12 in name remains, if those schools are able to be accepted into other conferences, if there's mergers, we'll, of course, let you know. We'll see what happens there. We are out of time for this segment. When we come back, Auburn head soccer coach Karen Hoppe on the 2023 season, among some other things with facilities and NIL. You don't want to miss it. That's coming up next. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome 
back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoie and Brooks Childers with you. Now, we are pleased to be joined by the head soccer coach of Auburn University, Coach Karen Hoppe. Coach, the time is greatly appreciated. I know opening match, opening week here is coming up shortly. I know it's a very exciting time of year. Hope you're doing well, and we're very thankful for the time today. Hey, I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on the show. It's an exciting time of year for sure. Absolutely. So, Coach, let's get into it. Uh, this year, already got a couple exhibition matches. Uh, what did you see from your team in the, the exhibition matches? As uh, I know one of them has had a, a tremendous amount of weather issues and, and trying to get through all that, but just what have you seen from your team so far in the preseason? You know, um, the one thing we have this year is a really veteran team. We have 12 seniors. So, um, you know, some of them are COVID seniors, some are just four-year seniors, so it's a really big senior class, and, you know, it's a, it's a veteran team. We're a lot, we were able to start coaching them at a little higher level at practice, um, and, you know, that, that, you know, level of senior leadership has just really, I think, been a great benefit to our team so far. And coach, when I'm looking at last year's team, I know that there was a a very tough non-conference schedule, some big successes in the non-conference, then getting the SEC play in this conference is always incredibly difficult. And I know that offense at times was not the way you wanted to go. But as you mentioned, a lot of returning players from that team, some of the top goal scorers uh, from last year's team, uh, such as uh, Maddie Simpson and then Anna Haddock, who led an assist. Talk about what those two players in particular can bring as, as you try to create offense this year. Yeah, you know, certainly that's an area we have to be better this year is on offense. And again, returning the players that provided the most amount of scoring for us is really going to help. Um, you know, Simpson's just got a unique way to find the goal. Um, she actually scored twice in our South Alabama exhibition. Both were called back for different reasons, but um, shows you that she's picking up right where she left off last year. Um, and then Anna Haddock is just a special player all the way around. And, you know, we really look to her to be the playmaker for our team, you know, both, you know, creating goals for others and scoring opportunities for herself. And those guys are both seniors. So they've been there, they've been in the trenches, they, they know what it takes to score at the highest level, and um, I'm excited to see what they can do this year. Coach, last year you had a lot of uh, of one nil games. We were looking back at some of the results, and that speaks a lot to your goalkeeper, Matty Prohaska. And you know, you, uh, we were reading a stat earlier today. You're bringing back 98 percent of saves from last year. What's it like to have someone on the back end and in the goal uh, like Prohaska for uh, again this year when you're trying to rebuild that offense? Yeah, you know, um, I equate it to returning a four-year starting quarterback. You know, that experience with goalkeepers is the most important thing. They need goalkeepers need goals um, to really be experienced and play at a high level. And you know, having her back as a four-year starter in goal is really key to anchoring our defense, um, and it gives us a lot of confidence. Like you said, you know, we um, you know had a great defense last year, and you know, it was the second best statistically the second best defense in program history um and obviously to have maddie back to lead that group um gives us a lot of confidence i don't think we need to score a lot of goals to win games we certainly have to score some uh but our defense is going to take care of business in the back for sure coach how do you operate and this is something i always want to ask coaches because they always have different thoughts and feelings about it when you see preseason polls and you see projections and that sort of thing i know auburn was picked 10th in the sec obviously the sec as it is in really every sport is a tremendous conference and no different in soccer do you do you even look at those polls do you use them as motivation just how do you treat the preseason stuff like that 
Uh, you know, it's, it is tricky because, uh, you know, it's just a guess and obviously largely based on the previous year. Um, but I think our team will use it as motivation for sure. I mean, we are better than 10th in, in the league and we should be better um, than 10th in the league. And I think they'll um, use it as some motivation. I hope they have a little chip on their shoulder when we start SEC play because of it, um, because we'll just play even harder um, knowing that we've got something to prove. Coach, looking at your schedule this year, you got a couple long road trips ahead of you. One up to the state of New York, and then you've got the one where you you kind of flip through West Virginia, Columbus, Ohio, then end up in Starkville. What does that uh, type of uh, schedule put on for a team? Yeah, it's a it's a bear of a schedule for sure. Um, the Syracuse trip was actually supposed to be in 2020, and we all know what happened then. So we owed them the game and, and rescheduled. Um, that one when we already had the West Virginia trip. So, you know, it, it's it's a tough challenge for sure. Playing on the road anywhere is hard, um, but it'll be good experience for our team. You know, if we want to win at the highest level, we've got to find a way to win on the road. Um, so I think those are two really important games, Syracuse and Army. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we got a week at home, and then we come back and go to West Virginia and Ohio State. We actually have uh, a little connection there. The West Virginia head coach – her daughter is on our team, Sammy Brown, who's wow. a senior. So that's kind of taking Sammy home. And then actually Maddie Prohaska and my assistant coach, Nick Flory, are from Ohio. Um, so taking those guys home as well, um, which is always fun. We should have a big Auburn contingent in, in the stands in both places. Um, and they're, they're big games. They're tough games. But listen, playing on the road in the SEC is tough. So these two trips will get us ready for that. Coach, on this program all the time, uh, we, we discuss NIL, particularly in the football and basketball world, but I'm curious, educate us, educate our listeners on what NIL means to you with the soccer program, how it affects your program, and just the, the sport of, of women's college soccer. Yeah, it's uh, up and coming, I would say, in soccer, for sure. It's starting to get into uh, the recruiting, and it's one of the questions that we get, and um, we uh, definitely in a position that we are looking to get more of our players on NIL deals. I think that's going to help us. We are in soccer an equivalency sport, so we're like baseball where our scholarships are all split up. So getting NIL money will really help our, our players even help pay their tuition. So um, I think it's really important. I think it's something we're starting to see in the recruiting battles. And um, it's I think as the years go on, it's going to be more and more significant in our sport. And coach, I saw something earlier today too. Speaking of these kind of these big uh, issues, obviously NIL's one, but also the facilities race. That's no stranger to any sport out there, especially in this conference. And I read something earlier today where uh, you mentioned that the new athletic director John Cohen actually reached out and talked about a new stadium with you, not the other way around. Is how what did that mean? <laughs> what did that mean to you? And then also, is that what you feel is is the biggest need facilities wise for the program, or is there something else that you've got? in mind just talk about the what's kind of next for the soccer program facilities wise yeah i appreciate that question i'll answer the second part first the stadium hands down our stadium is behind now in the conference um just because it's so old we did build a nice building that we share with track that's you know so we have a nice locker room nice offices but we need a stadium the fan experience um is really important to us the crowd the atmosphere all of that. So we, we really need a stadium. That's next for the program. That's the most important piece. And, yeah, it was uh, really refreshing with a new athletic director and, and the fact that John Cohen's been a, a coach. Obviously, um, he, he gets it. He knows what we deal with 
uh, day in, day out as SEC head coaches, and, and he brought it to my attention straight away and said, you know, I know your facility's not big, not good enough. We need to upgrade. Um, you know, obviously it's going to take some time because it's certainly an expensive upgrade, um, but I was just really appreciative um, to have an athletic director that recognized that instead of me coming trying to convince them that it's not, not good enough. So, um, you know, we're excited about this new administration and the direction they're going to take the programs. And, Coach, uh, I, I just wanted to bring this up. You kind of went viral on TikTok here recently. <laughs> so, can, can we expect more from uh, the Karen Hoppe TikTok, or is, is this just a one-and-done thing? You know, I did one in preseason last year, and so they wrote me into one in preseason this year. Uh, Amy Reef, my director of ops, was the choreographer. Um, I did not plan any of it. Uh, truth, truth be told, I didn't even know the TikTok before they wrote me into it. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It did go viral. It's still getting some hits. So I'll let this one play out, and then we'll have to decide from there what, what's next. Are you keeping an eye on the TikTok trends, kind of like just looking to see what they may rope you into next, or are you just kind of out of that sphere? You know, I'm not super active on TikTok. Um, my daughter loves it, so I, I keep up to speed with her. Okay. Um, but I did, a couple of players wrote me into an old TikTok trend that I did with those guys uh, last week, I think. So and we'll see. It might might be continue, might continue. So I would tell fans to stay tuned on TikTok. Talking to Auburn head soccer coach Karen Hoppe today on Sports Call. A couple more for you, coach, as we preview uh, this season coming up. So we talked about some of the veteran players coming back, both in goal uh, and as forward. So talk a little bit about some of these new players. What can we expect from uh, some new arrivals, and who are you hoping to kind of break out early in the season? Yeah, we've, we've got a great um, freshman class. We've got one grad transfer, Maddie Lowe, who's going to give us some great depth in the goalkeeping position. And Maddie Lowe's done great. She's pushing for Hoska, which is, you know, what you want. Um, and then our freshman class has been really, really strong. Um, Olivia Woodson would be the one that stands out as far as she started both exhibition matches so far. And, you know, she is a really exciting attacking player. She's lightning fast, um, good on the ball can really stretch defenses. Um, so I think, you know, she is one to watch for sure. But uh, the rest of the freshmen, I think, are going to give us some good minutes and add some depth and, and some youthful energy to our team. And, Coach, opening night just a couple days away, Thursday night, 6.30 at the Auburn Soccer Complex against Sanford. What do you want to see from your team in these opening matches against Sanford and Troy before you have, again, that long road trip to New York? Yeah, well, you know, we talked about the road trip being really tough, but Sanford might be one of, if not the best non-conference team on our schedule. They um, have won, I think their coaches won at least a dozen conference championships, and this might be the best Sanford team they've had yet. They start, majority of their lineup are grad graduate seniors, um, so they're super veteran team, and they, they are tough. So opening night, Thursday at 6.30, we need a big crowd um, because they're going to press us. They're going to play, um, you know, with a fast attack, a counterattack. They're going to be super dangerous, and that that's going to be a really, really tough game for us. You know, it's a tough, tough opener. We're throwing these this veteran team right into the fire on game one, um, and then turn around and play Troy on Sunday. You know, another in-state rival. We know that's going to be a tough game. I think they're one of the top teams picked to win their conference this year. So it, it's a tough in-state opening weekend, and we'd love to have a big crowd um, to help get us off on the right foot. Absolutely. It's the time of year that's very exciting. The fall's coming. 
And uh, we're very excited for sports to be back and looking forward to seeing the team play out there again starting Thursday night at the Auburn Soccer Complex. Coach Karen Hoppe with us today on Sports Call. Coach, the time's been greatly appreciated. Again, we look forward to seeing your club uh, throughout this fall, and we really appreciate the time today, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best this fall. Hey, thank you both so much. I appreciate it. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That's Coach Karen Hoppe of the Auburn Soccer Club joining us today on Sports Call. it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn now back to the multi-time abby award-winning sports call Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM and the Tiger Communications app. Brian LaVoy and Tom Peavy with you here. Of course, you just vo- heard the voice of Auburn soccer head coach Karen Hoppe. You also heard the voice of Brooks Childress. He'll be joining us at 5 o'clock just in time. Man, that company business took some time. Uh, company today. business. But uh, really appreciate Coach Hopper for joining us. Uh, 25th season. For Karen Hoppe on the Plains, really good stuff in there. Wanted to make sure we asked about NIL. Again, that's something we always talk about in the football and basketball sphere. And also about the prospect of a new soccer facility at some point, a new soccer stadium at some point that even athletic director John Cohen brought up. And usually that's the other way around. Usually the coach brings up to the AD the need for something, convincing someone of something. But John Cohen called Coach Hoppe and said, I know that you need – a new stadium. So maybe, I don't know what the timeline would be, but maybe there's a new soccer stadium on the horizon too. And it needs to be. Because that, that, they, the, they built the facility at the end of their uh, soccer field, soccer stadium for their locker rooms and all that, and that's pretty cool. But their seating area, uh, my understanding is that it's literally old metal bleachers that used to be Plainsman Park way back yep. before they built Plainsman Park. And they just – Stuck that there and just stuck a little press box on top of it, but there's no concessions. You have no restrooms. I mean, you have to, there's no amenities for the fans, really. I mean, you have to go outside the stadium and all to do anything. So, I mean, to build them an actual nice facility there that that they can be proud of and to recruit and do things like that, I, I think that's vitally important for that for that program. Absolutely. And again, we've talked about with Coach Hoppe a couple of things there with the schedule. We've got Sanford coming up, the opener. 6.30 at the Auburn Soccer Complex on Thursday night. Uh, then also they've got another match on Sunday 
against Troy. That one's 6 o'clock at the Auburn Soccer Complex. Then they go all the way to New York, Syracuse, New York, uh, next Thursday, and then West Point play Army. So long road trip there uh, for soccer. They also have a separate trip, uh, if you heard during that interview, to Morgantown, West Virginia, and Columbus, Ohio. So. Uh, pretty lengthy on the road. Yeah, plenty. Uh, pretty lengthy road trips there for Auburn soccer. So it'll be interesting to follow Coach Hoppe and that squad this fall. Just another minute or so before the end of the hour. Again, coming up in the third and final hour. Of course, Brooks will make his triumphant return uh, to the show. Also, five at five today. The sports call five at five. We're going to take that opportunity to go back over one more time the AP Top Twenty Five poll. Uh, just briefly, we'll tell you about the five highest-ranked, and we cheated a little bit, but five highest-ranked SEC schools in that sports call, 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. And after that, a preview of LSU football. We continue on previewing all the SEC schools uh, for this fall. We did South Carolina yesterday. Tomorrow will be LSU. Wednesday will be Tennessee. And then Alabama and Georgia to culminate the week. And, of course, we did not forget about Auburn. Auburn will be the start of next week. And then next week, Tom, previewing all the conferences because week zero, well, the conferences at large. The last year I'll be able to put power conferences neatly one per (laughs) week and fit them into an entire week of radio because then the Pac-12 will not be – either existing or rated as a power conference. So that's kind of a look ahead of Sports Call. Again, we are out of time here for hour number two. Stay tuned. All that and more. Again, the Sports Call 5 at 5 preview of LSU football coming up next. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress. What? Brooks, company business completed just in time. One yeah. final hour. I hope you're well this afternoon. I am doing fantastic. Had a great weekend. I hope everybody out there in our sports call world had a great weekend as well. Went out of town for 
probably the final time before the the football stuff gets kicked up. Uh, but yeah, we were had some high school meeting stuff this afternoon, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, have a good announcement for uh, the, the high school coaches show coming up here uh, in the coming days. And uh, make, make sure you stay tuned to our socials for for any sort of announcement there. And yeah, great day. Um, Braves went to the Braves game last night. Braves Yankees. Uh, and so it was fun game if you're a Braves fan. Uh, but there were a lot of Yankees fans that were not having a fun time last night. And uh, and yeah, hopefully the Braves can do it again tonight. Hopefully the Thunder Chickens can get on the field tonight. Ooh. And uh, can't wait to uh, to uh, start this third hour of the show with you guys. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, that was a good one to go to last time. Glad you were in attendance for a decisive victory. Uh, we talked a little bit about it earlier today. Were you? How concerned were you when? Yankees score in the top half of the inning, like, oh, oh. I was not concerned after the first, the leadoff hit, but when Judge Sing, uh, hit it right after that, I was like, mm, all right, let, let's calm down, guys. Huh. Uh, really, uh, I didn't get concerned until the Braves tied it, and then the Yankees immediately took the lead back, and I was like, oh, no, Freed's going to have an off night. I'm yeah. not going to be upset here. And then the, then the bottom half of the order picked it up in that third inning, and, and it was uh, – it was all, no holds barred. They, they they let the Yankees have it a little bit. Yes, they did. Let's jump right into it here in hour number three. Again, coming up in just a few minutes, LSU football preview for 2023. But now it's time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. And the Sports Call 5 at 5 is presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, we're going to look at the AP Top 25, and we're going to look towards the five highest-ranked SEC teams in that AP Top 25. Number one. Number one, of course, is, well, number one, the Georgia Bulldogs. Number one in the AP Top 25, back-to-back national championships for the Bulldogs. However, being preseason number one in the AP poll not always desirable. I believe it's 17 of the last 19 number ones have not won the national title. Only Alabama in 2017 and USC uh, did go wire to wire there as number one, or at least started number one and ended number one. So Georgia, on top of that, try to make the history of winning three straight national titles not done since the 1900s. Minnesota. So a lot of history that Georgia tries to to buck this year, but they do start off in the pole position at number one. Number two. Second highest ranked SEC team in the AP Top 25 is Alabama. They are ranked number four. I saw some stat I don't want to get wrong, but it's been a long time since Alabama's not been preseason top three. Even though number four is still incredibly high, it would put them in the final four-team playoff if they were to finish there. Uh, number four a bit, <laughs> a bit lower than usual for Alabama. But they come in just slight favorites in the West and slightly ahead of next up. Number three. Which is the LSU Tigers, third-ranked SEC team, but still in the top five nationally. They are number five in the AP Top 25. So three of the top five belong to the SEC. Again, Georgia was number one. 
Alabama number four and LSU number five. We start to take a bit of a leap now. Number four. For the Tennessee Volunteers, still highly ranked for the most part, ranked number 12 in the country. That's kind of where they were, uh, kind of the general area where they finished last year. Again, wanting to see what will happen with Joe Milton this year, if he will be uh, similar, better, or worse than Hendon Hooker. That will be a big-time storyline. The Vols second in the East, fourth in the SEC in the preseason. They are number 12. Number five. Cheating a little bit here. Number five. With two at number five, so we can fit all six SEC teams that are ranked. But they are right together in the back end of the top 25. Fifth highest ranked SEC team is Ole Miss at number 22, followed by Texas A&M at number 23. Again, you get towards the bottom, you get to the 20s. These teams... I think they're appropriate to be these two because the 20s can go either way. They can jolt up into the top 15 or top 10, have big years, felt like they were undervalued to start the year, or they can go 6-6 six and six and have tumultuous seasons, which might dictate coaching changes. Not in Oxford, but certainly in College Station. That will be something to keep an eye out. So, again, the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, Georgia. Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. I know that was six, but five at five. Those are the six teams ranked in the AP Top 25 out of the SEC. Before we go to break, uh, Brooks was not on the show yesterday when we talked a little bit about the AP Top 25. I I want just a takeaway or two, Brooks, from you from the AP Top 25. Again, we just went over those SEC schools that could be SEC-related or not, but uh, what, if anything, surprised you, or, or did you agree with pretty much everything out of the out of the AP Top 25? I mean, obviously, the number one didn't didn't surprise me as, as much, with Georgia being there. Um, number two, that the, the number two spot kind of surprised me. I, I would have thought that you would have you know, put Ohio State up at two instead of Michigan, but I can you know I, I can see the voters putting them there. You you are bringing back your starting quarterback. And it's a team that made the college football playoff last year, but uh, didn't look great against TCU, who got steamrolled by Georgia in the national title game. I just think Ohio State's a, a, a really good football team. They're they're the team that almost beat Georgia. It was the stroke of it, it took until the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve for for Ohio State to to lose that game. And so I think Ohio State probably should be two. If I was voting, obviously I don't get a vote. Um, Alabama at four feels fine. I would you know you you could get make an argument, put them at three, maybe Michigan at four. Um, USC, I like at six. Uh, looking down, Florida State at eight and. It, it it seems a little high, but maybe you know I would stick them like right outside the top ten. Uh, but there there's they've got a lot to, uh, a lot that's going uh, well for them right now. They're they're a team that is an, a lot of people have uh, picked as a dark horse candidate to get that playoff. Clemson right there with them. Um, yeah, it. N- were you surprised I gave you one that we were a little surprised about? We we felt yesterday a little bit that uh, Oregon at 15 fell a little low, that they may trade spots with one or two of their Pac-12 competitors. Do you, do you feel that there's enough questions put them down at 15, or do you think they should be maybe ahead of uh, Utah or ahead of someone like even Washington at 10? I don't know how you – shake those out um i don't know if i put them ahead of utah i think if, if i'm putting them if i'm moving them up i'm moving utah up too 
Uh, but again, that depends on if Cam Rising is is healthy because I, I really like him at a quarterback. I I think you you could put you know if you look at uh, I wouldn't boast them uh, to the to inside the top ten. I could see them above Notre Dame. I could see them above Texas. Uh, I just don't know. You know, it, it just depends on what you know t- what those other two teams do. But I I could see if you move. I think you move Utah and Oregon up. You move Tennessee up, and then so you put you know let's say Utah eleven, Oregon twelve. Well, Tennessee eleven, Oregon twelve, you or Utah. I don't know. You move them up. I mean, it's all close. Move them up. So nothing. So, but moral of the story: you see nothing egregious. You no. see one to two spots the, here and there. I would say the only thing. I think the only as I as I continue to scroll down here, the only thing that I think is is not egregious, but is number twenty five. I, I just can't respect that offense. Thank you for uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything last year to make me say, "Oh, you're a top twenty-five program." You look at who uh, the others receiving votes. I you can make an argument to put South Carolina in over them. You can make an argument to put Texas Tech, UCLA. There's a couple of teams on that list that uh, uh, receive votes that you could you could uh, have an argument to put above them. And I just don't know why you would put them there. It was just nothing. I don't know if there's just Kirk Ferentz. Um, Respect because I mean he has done a good job for a long period of time, but the Brian Ferentz stuff with the offense has just been disgusting. Um, again, I, I I'd also have to look to see everything that who they play this year too to see if it's practical. I don't know if it's any of that, but yeah, I mean, um, I, no, go ahead. I, I did not find too much there uh, in the poll that disturbed me. Um, TCU, I'd be kind of surprised if they ended up having a good year. I understand why they're ranked there. You got to have give them a little something for where they finished last year. But I would be very surprised if TCU had a really good team again. And if TCU has a really good team again this year, I think Sonny Dykes is going to be uh, a hot commodity. I don't know if he would move up to another a, a bigger job or what, but I think that Sonny Dykes would get a lot of credit if they had another good year, despite all the guys that they lost off of last year's team. And then, you know, there's some questions always about the big brands. I'm a little skeptic of Texas at 11. I just – I don't know. I I know that Quinn Ewers is good. And, again, that's why the Arch Manning commentary was so fascinating to me because I did not expect Arch Manning to go in there and just take take the job. And guess what? He sure didn't. Um, And and so that always struck me. And then also just questions about Sarkeesian and and if he actually can – produce a big season i will give them that the big 12 does not seem very formidable uh that when oklahoma is consistently one of your biggest competitions and they went six and six last year that's going to make you feel better and i think oklahoma state's rebuilding i think really kansas state would be the the team you would fear the most if you're texas so i will give you that part of the argument and then always a lot of people like to to gripe at notre dame Again, I want to remind people and i'm not some i don't really love notre dame but i'm just saying that I think we wrote them off last year after their wretched first three or four games. They did not function like a bad football team from that point forward. They won most of their games. They ended up beating South Carolina in a bowl game. They finished in the top 25. And they brought in Sam Hartman, who I love, because Sam Hartman elevated a program that's very hard to elevate. And that's worth something to me, because I assure you Wake Forest is not pumping out nine-win teams very often, uh, even if the ACC is not in a great place. And so Sam Hartman is really good. And so if Freeman has got something with that defense, Sam Hartman is in the form that he was most of his time at Wake Forest, 
Sure, I buy that absolutely. They'll be in some big games. They'll they'll play Clemson. They'll be big. Play USC. They'll they'll be some really important games involving Notre Dame this year. I'll be the advocate for the small conference now. I would I would obviously not hate to see Tulane moved up a little bit. Oh, because you you went in and you beat a USC team in a in a New Year Six game, and it's not like USC was resting its starters. It's like, oh, this is fine. And I know Caleb Williams wasn't a hundred percent, but still, it, it's a you you went in, you beat Caleb Williams and that that USC offense that you've deemed as number six. Um, I, I'd move him up a little bit. I don't know who I would jump over, um, but I I would I would move like I I could see them moving up. Right there at the at the back end of the the teens, like in ni- nineteen eighteen, somewhere around yes, there, to start p- things off. Depends how they gel. Because yeah. on paper, if you do it by paper, they're not going to win any of these battles. But obviously, paper doesn't play out that way. That's ask Texas A and M, the team right above them. Like I I think it's actually funny that A and M and Tulane are beside each other because you couldn't be more polar opposite. Tulane sure. is a program that probably has the seventieth best talent in the country, eightieth best talent in the country. Yeah, they went to a New Year's Six and beat USC last year. Uh, so paper says that should be, if they played in a power conference, it would be a 5-7 and seven team. Uh, and then A&M on paper says they should be a top 10, top 15 team on paper. And what they do? They went 5-7 and seven last year. So I think that's actually kind of humorous that you have polar opposites at 23 and 24. It'd be funny. I, you know, people may not care, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a point to figure out where those teams finish and track those two teams. We'll be tracking A&M anyway in the SEC, but I'm going to track Tulane 2 and see where those two teams finish this year because, again, that's the talent versus coaching perspective there is, is pretty funny. We are out of time for this segment. When we come back, we will get to LSU football, a preview of the LSU Tigers for 2023 as we continue to preview 14 SEC teams in 14 days. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. We've not had rain since the first hour of the show. Still feeling better about Thunder Chicken playoffs tonight. Just, just throwing that out there. All right, let's continue on with our previews of all the SEC teams. Today it's LSU. We're working our way to the top of the league. We're up to the top two teams in each division. So today is LSU, Tigers' second year for Brian Kelly after leaving Notre Dame. The first year went surprisingly good. Uh, not enough to 
forget some of the the fun things at the beginning of the year, like the dances with recruits and the family and all that sort of stuff. But it was quite a good year after a genuinely hilarious start to the year, the way they lost to Florida State. I mean, awful if you're an LSU fan, but uh, hilarious for those that feel that Brian Kelly's tenure here will be incredibly dramatic. They lose on the doinker and on the blocked kick to, to Florida State. And then after that, they had a pretty good season. I mean, they did get thumped pretty good by Tennessee, but they obviously get the big wins against Ole Miss, against Alabama. They did lose to A&M at the end of the year, but go to the SEC title game, put 30 points on Georgia. I think Tom mentioned earlier, what was it, 14 points a game Georgia allowed last year, so you double the average. That's pretty productive. Except uh, they give up what, 50. That's fine. <laughs> that, no, that's fine. I mean, they were going to, we all thought they'd lose to Georgia, but yeah. they, they could have given up 50 and scored 10. Uh, so scoring 30 on that defense was something. And then uh, they continued to score and score and score. They gave the old Auburn treatment to Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. Why I remind you that it was similar to the Georgia TCU game 63 to 7 was what LSU decided to beat Purdue by in the Citrus Bowl. So 10-win team for the Tigers last year. And, guys, second year in a row, LSU and Florida State. That's going to be a big one on a neutral field there to start the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that one well, – I mean, you hate to say it's going to kind of determine where LSU season goes, but, I mean, it didn't last year. Uh, you know, a loss and they still did fine. But – I mean, really, though, when you look at LSU's schedule, everything is directly in front of them to be undefeated going into that game on November the 4th against Alabama at Alabama, which obviously is going to be tough. But uh, you start with Florida State. Obviously, yes, that's going to be a tough game. We'll see which way that goes. I personally think LSU is better than Florida State there. But, you know, we'll see. After that grambling win – at Mississippi State, win. Arkansas, you would think is a win. At Ole Miss, you would think is a win. At Missouri, you would think is a win. Host Auburn, you would think is a win. Sorry, all my Auburn fans. And then Army on October the 21st. I I don't see anything that is really preventing them from being undefeated going into the Alabama game. So, we'll see. It's a matter of, of can they get that done. They've definitely got the personnel to get it done. And, uh, it starts at quarterback, and potentially one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the SEC uh, this year, Jaden Daniels. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks have him as a first team All SEC guy. Uh, so I mean, it's kind of been between him and KJ Jefferson at Arkansas, and like who they think is going to be the best. But you know, Jaden Daniels is back. Uh, Malik Neighbors is back. You know, they've they've got so many guys. Uh, returning on the offensive side of the ball, so many top names on the uh, on the on the defensive side of the ball, I, they're going to be good. Uh, I mean, they just are, unless they just underperform. But I don't think they are because I mean, then they've also got the type of head coach in, in Brian Kelly that has proven that he knows how to coach. He knows how to get the best out of his guys. And whether they can finish it off once you get to the end of the year, that's one thing. But. Uh, they, they've been recruiting top talent, holding on to top talent. They've got a top-tier coach. They're going to be good, and the schedule sets up really well for them. When you look at LSU in the past, 
um, it's always been how the defense, really how the defense goes is how the how the LSU Tigers go. Uh, they're returning seven defensive starters, and if you look at all the games they won last year, uh, besides the, there's two outliers, and it was the Florida game and the Alabama game. Every game they won, they were they their defense allowed 20 points or less. And so I, I think that's the the same way it's going to look here is is this defense is going to have to step up this year um, because it, you know you continue to be living in a world with fast paced high scoring offenses uh, and you're you know you're you're trying to be one of them as well you know like last year you put up sixty three points in that bowl game against Purdue um, yeah that first game against Florida State uh, it's it's not I'm not going to say it's a this team, you know, you win this game or you lose this game, and it's got playoff implications. But you would think, the especially now that the AP poll is out, and you've got a, a two, you've got two top ten teams going to be meeting up there. Uh, who, if someone can win this game, uh, or whoever wins this game, somebody is going to win the game. Uh, breaking it, news! <laughs> breaking news! If whoever wins this game is going to have a. a track toward that playoff spot or toward a playoff spot this year um lsu you know you like you were breaking down tom you're looking at their schedule um you know you've you obviously got everybody in the west you get a break where you don't have to play a, a team like georgia or tennessee this year you're at missouri which should be an easy win um if you're you know this lsu team is what we think it could be um but then the the big one is you got to go to alabama and try as you might, not a lot of people can win on the road at Alabama. Uh, one person did it, and that was a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Um, and then, you know, you got Florida, who who knows what they could be this year. And then that Texas A&M game, who is, you know, you looked at it last year, you said, oh, that was that's going to be an easy win for LSU. Well, they got they got beat 38-23 to on that one. And so it it's a really, it's this LSU team's really interesting I think that they are, you know, you you look at what they're they're capable of doing this year, especially with a quarterback like Jaden Daniels, who could, uh, you know, if the, he go things go well, he could get some Heisman talk going into the year. Um, you got eight returning starters on offense, seven on defense, so you you've got a good portion of your guys back. Um, it, the the sky's the limit right now if you're LSU. You're you what you're, you need to be worried about is something that is quite often referred to in the NFL and it's the sophomore slump. You you got to be you know that that's one thing that you got to be worried about that Brian Kelly came in and knocked the socks off of everyone year one nobody was expecting them. you know last year you look back at last year I'm sure I could pull it up LSU was picked toward the bottom out of the in the media poll out of SEC media days if they were not at the bottom they were near the bottom of the SEC West and they went and won the darn thing. Uh, beat Alabama, and so you got to be. That's the one thing you got to worry about is that sophomore slump going into this one. You've got road tests at Miss, at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, at Alabama. If you know, if you to- take one of those teams lightly, they could. They've got the talent on those uh, those road games to uh, to reach up and grab you. The good news is you don't have a lot of road games. You got three true, or yeah, four true road games, and then the neutral side game. Everything else is at home. You don't play a road game in the second half of the year except for Alabama. Your hardest game on the schedule, well, arguably your hardest game on the schedule. You could argue Florida State is too. But one of your hardest games on the schedule is in the back half of the season, and it's your one road game. Yeah. So it, there, there's a there's sky's the limit right now. I think if you're LSU, you need to be, your, your eyes need to be set on that playoff spot. Uh, your eyes need to be set on an SEC West crown. But you got to be wary and not get too high on yourself that you hit that sophomore slump. So 
LSU is good enough to where we can do this, this fun exercise. We we do this once per year because there's always a point in the year where it feels like there's this scenario. It never happens. It's not going to happen this year. But want to do the three out of four scenario where the SEC could get three playoff teams? Because <clears throat> I think the past pretty clear to it because Alabama and Georgia don't have that crossover. LSU doesn't play Georgia. Here it is. If LSU beats Florida State, then the say they lose at Bama, but they don't lose again. Okay, eleven and one. Don't make the conference title game though. That's Alabama. They beat them. But Bama's twelve and zero. Let's just say for the sake of this, I'm not saying they will. Just giving you this scenario that again, I again admit this will not happen. It never does. But Alabama goes twelve and zero. Georgia, we've talked about one of the weaker schedules this year. Also, still going to be a very good football team. Say so they don't lose. 12 0. 12 0 Georgia, 12 0 Bama. SEC title game. Give it to Georgia for the sake of this argument. Or no, let's say give it to Bama for the sake of this argument. I think it'd be better this way. Bama wins it. Good for them. Then Georgia and LSU. Georgia is 12 1, only loss being to Alabama. And LSU is. Uh, 11-1, only loss to Alabama. What do you do at that point? I guess it also depends on what else happens in the rest of the country, but it is going to be very tough to decide on that. Georgia, you might think, is better than LSU, but LSU has a really good, in theory, non-conference win that Georgia does not have access to this year because their cancellation with, uh, what was it, Oklahoma? Yeah. So LSU has a, a notch over them because they got Florida State victory. Just saying. That's going to be an interesting conversation if it were to happen. Again, I just told you it will not. Might not happen Might not happen because of week one. LSU might go ahead and lose Florida State. And then, and then that conversation's mute. But it is interesting to think that these teams do feel a little bit more, as we go through this week, a little bit more out of the fray of the rest of the league because we've we've worked our way from the bottom we're now getting to the top and there's so many teams there in that middle that are good enough like like at face value can Ole Miss beat LSU yes they can could there be an upset where someone like South Carolina beats a Tennessee or beats an LSU type of team yeah I mean I know they don't play but I'm just saying like obviously depending on or obviously what we saw from LSU or South Carolina excuse me at the end of last year when they beat Tennessee and beat Clemson, yeah, that's the dangerous part of the middle, and it never goes to form. And I say that to say we can look at this and say, LSU better than this team, yes. Better than this team, yes. Better than this team, yes. But, you know, I think that we know, and that's why we do it, that it doesn't always work out that way. Even Alabama, with all the titles they've won, they didn't go undefeated the vast majority of those years. Still lost somebody. And so... LSU, you look at this and you say, oh, it's as simple as they beat Florida State and then you can pretty much wrap it up into a one-game season against Alabama. Well, history says, no, they're going to mess up and lose. Uh, you know, someone like Mississippi, Ole Miss, or someone like Texas A&M at the end of the year. Um, they lost to Texas A&M last year. A&M went 5-7. and seven. LSU was better than Texas A&M last year. No, there's no doubt about it. But they lost to Texas A&M by two touchdowns. So that's the danger in this, the temptation to feel like, oh, yeah, they just beat Florida State and or split Florida State and Bama game. They're going 11-1. Well, it doesn't work out like that. But clearly the ceiling is 
to be that double-digit win team. Their ceiling is to be in the SEC title game. They can beat Alabama. They can. That's not necessarily my prediction. But if Alabama has poor quarterback play this year, and LSU has good quarterback play, which is absolutely necessary to go in the Tuscaloosa and win, LSU has that. They have that ingredient. It's not Joe Burrow, which you were referencing earlier, but Jane Daniels is good. You decoded that that reference. I, I did. I sure did. Uh, he's not Burrow, but he's good. And they've got a lot of talent on offense. I know they lost uh, Kayshawn Booty, but Malik Neighbors is first or second team All SEC. Mason Taylor is a really good tight end. If it was not for Brock <clears throat> Bowers, the cyborg that he is, Mason Taylor might be next in the league. And then their running back room's all back. A lot of people really like Josh Williams, but guys like Noah Kane, Armani Goodman. Oh. Goodwin, excuse me. They were highly touted guys, very highly touted guys. I remember Auburn was getting after Goodwin, I thought, for a little while, or Alabama. So, I mean, it was a it was a big recruiting battle. So they've got a lot of talent on offense. It's not all about Jane Daniels. Obviously, the quarterback is a huge part of it, but but it's not like they're only that's the only thing they have, and he needs to make everyone else around him better. They've got good stuff around him. Yeah, you also have some good returners on the offensive line and Will Campbell and Emory Jones. So you've got your offensive yeah. line, you've got two guys that are potential all SEC guys. Will Campbell is a guy that a lot of people have as a first team SEC or uh, SEC guy. So you've got all SEC guys on the line. You've got a, an all SEC caliber quarterback, you've got all SEC caliber guys at wide receiver, <clears throat> you've got really good running backs. And it shouldn't be a shock because yeah. even though Orgeron was struggling wins and loss wise, it wasn't like he was just stopped recruiting. People, the players liked Orgeron. He was charismatic. We all laugh with and at him. I mean, he, you know, he was a, a a fun guy. I think to play for, and they got good classes. It's just he couldn't coach at the end of the day, yeah. uh, and, and couldn't figure it out. But it's not like they just stopped getting top ten, top five classes. So. You put that together with a guy that can coach, and Brian Kelly can coach. There was never a question of that. The question was, would he fit culturally? And I guess what? And guess what? You know what fits culturally? Winning, winning a lot. That will fit anywhere. And so, if he can keep winning, it ain't gonna matter what his what his accent is or how goofy he is dancing. All the coaches, by the way, now are, are da- dancing goofily. Nick Saban even does it. it it's just it's not. <laughs> Gus did it. They all do it. it it's to try to show the personality required to land these uh, these big-time kids and, and look fun. So all that to say is LSU's in position. This is going to be a very interesting battle if they can beat Florida State and they get to that Bama game undefeated. That will be a heck of a matchup. And, and even if they lose Florida State, as long as they're not leaking and lose uh, at Ole Miss or something, host Arkansas, they just get in one loss. It's still going to be the matchup for uh, the, the the SEC West, I, and I just don't think that that look if, if Ole Miss here's here's logic, and it's not always great, but if LSU can drub Ole Miss the way they did last year in year one of Kelly, I'm not sure Ole Miss takes a big step this year. I think they're still good. I think they're still around an eight win team. But what in me thinks that just because you go to Oxford this year that you're going to flip a thirty point difference there? when LSU has a lot of the same guys back too. LSU's not having to rebuild or anything like that. So that's why I'm, I'm skeptical about – because that's that's probably number three in the in the, uh, in the West, unless it's A&M, maybe Arkansas. But A&M's the only other one talent-wise where I feel they're ready 
if, if, if LSU were to have a problem with somebody else, it would be them. Auburn just being a, a home game for them, I, I just if I'm LSU, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I, I'm worried about any Auburn road game, but but in, in Death Valley, I think LSU would be fine. I'll tell you who who could be a potential, and I don't think uh, you know it's it's. I'm not putting money down on it. Don't do not hold me to this and say you know when when it if LSU beats this team 65 to 13. Don't come back and say oh well, Brooks, you said this team could be. This is this is just looking at history of a game that could be a trap game. It's that Army game. <laughs> you host it. It's and it's only because. You've looked at their history. Army, they, they run that triple option. You don't see it any time of the year. You only see it every once, so often if you play, not even if you play Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern used to run it. They don't run it anymore. I think Navy's actually moving away from it. They Ken Niamatololo is no longer there. I think they're moving away from it. Army is like the, the unicorn that still does the triple option. And going into an off week... And you, you don't you may not if you don't take it as serious going into an off week and then Bama's on the other side of it, you're already thinking about that. You know? Just saying. It couldn't you know, it could be a trap game to watch out for just because uh-huh. it's just the, the weird thing that you don't see in college football anymore. I, I just think there it would be trap as in, yeah, the defense might give up some points, but um, they're they're not losing. Army's defense is not going to be able to stop yeah. LSU. Yeah, Michigan lost to uh, our, our Army Army might score a couple times, but LSU's yeah. going to score a lot of the times. Um, but oh. hey, but hey, Brooks is going to watch that, and yeah, if Army goes up three nothing, he's going to start the text. I told you text. so. I'm going to do it. Um, but I still would take LSU by thirty to forty. I'm sorry, there. Michigan didn't lose them, but it was double overtime. It went to double overtime versus Michigan in 2019. We'll see. All right, we're we're gonna listen. I'm he's just playing saying. a flag. He playing a flag just to watch it. There, there's a show that I I used to watch on. I think it was Fox Sports. They would always do the almost upset of the week. That if if we were gonna go ahead and pick that out of, out of the year, you know, maybe maybe the almost upset of the week could be there. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so nail nail you to it. Final. No, no, not that one. No, not please that don't. One. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, so final call here, LSU. What I know the I know we were talking ceiling and floors with other teams. I want to nail down a record since they're really high up there. I don't feel like there's too many disaster scenarios. Give me a record for LSU this year. Uh, I mean, I think they I think they I think they lose at Alabama, and I think that's it in the one. regular season. Yeah. Now, after that, it, well, yeah, I'm not making you predict the playoff and all re- that. Regular regular season, I think they only lose to Bama. Um, but I but I will say this. Something part of me tells me that even with a loss to Bama, LSU still makes the SEC championship game because I'm thinking Bama may have another loss or two somewhere in there. I'm not I'm not sold on their quarterback situation, which I know we're going to get into when we talk about the Bama preview. But I think I think LSU can even still make the SEC uh, the the championship game even with that loss to Bama. I say ten and two. I think it's the Bama get, game, and then there's another game somewhere. I'm Army. Not, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> Army. Um, I think there's another game somewhere, and then that they lose. Uh, I just. I, I don't. Uh, have, an A and M or an A and M. Florida. Either that Florida State, Ole Miss, or an A and M caliber. Maybe if Florida gets it on the rails this year, unlikely. But 
I, they could do it, but I think there's one other loss somewhere sure. on the schedule. It's not going to bend up being what last year they had three losses heading into that uh, championship game. I think they cut one of those out because you don't have to play a Tennessee caliber team. And and, and I'll say this, I just I'm saying it's going to be one. It could definitely be a loss to to FSU in that first game because I mean FSU is good, but I, I'm I'm kind of sold on Brian Kelly a little bit. Uh, I, I'm kind of sold, and and especially with. Uh, you know, you got a quarterback back. You've got so many guys back in your skill positions. There's not really any huge question marks on that team. I guess your one question mark would be at running backs, but you even mentioned that they still have some of the good running backs. It's just a little bit more of a question than other spots. You know, that game's going to also say a lot about where FSU is at. I'm just, I am not sold on FSU, but I am sold on Brian Kelly and LSU. So I think LSU wins that one and goes undefeated until they go to Alabama. And I'd also be remiss if we did not uh, mention at least once Harold Perkins on that defense. Yeah. Seven and a half sacks as a freshman last year. Uh, long arms, athletic kid at that outside linebacker position. And Perkins could be – there will be fields he'll walk on. He'll be the best player in the field. And it will be, it'll be interesting to see – uh, if he can cause chaos in these big games, because we we talk kind of general stuff sometimes, we talk offense and defense. But what if he has a sack fumble in a big moment in the Bama game or Florida State game? You know, he right. he is the type of pass rusher that can influence the game. There are not too many in the college game that can get that credit. Not as many as in the NFL, but Perkins is one of the few that I would say, hey. Any game you go into, got to block that guy because I think it was also, what, 14 quarterback hits yeah. as a true freshman. I only expect those numbers to go up this year. Well, and Harold Perkins is good, but then you got Wingo up front. And yeah, who's also first team, yeah. Yeah, so, I, you know, <laughs> LSU's going to be good, folks. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be good. They may trip and fall over themselves in a game. Sure. But I, I don't know. I, I I think they're good, and, I, and Brian Kelly's a darn good coach. He's proven it. Absolutely. That's our preview of LSU football here for 2023. One quick final timeout of the show. Back with the nightly TV guide to wrap it up right after this. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. This is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. This Tuesday, now evening, a couple minutes left in the show. We've had no rain in a couple hours. It's like Start, the sun's even sun, trying to peek out. The sun come out, so maybe we can cook a little bit. Radar looks a little clear. 
And uh, we seem ready for the playoffs then. Time to cluck up. Here goes nothing. 7.30 tonight. Uh, So excited to have the season conclude. Not excited that it's over, but just excited Mm -hmm. to know that uh, we did get a win and accomplish something this year. And we'll see how the playoffs go. Did we have any rainouts this year? None. Zero. None? None. It rained a little before the game last week, and it obviously rained a little bit today. But no rainouts. Or was was it all first, evens out in the end, folks? Was the first week rained out? And we had everything. No, nothing. No. Okay. Nope. nope. We haven't had a rainout. Nope. Oh, you know what? It was the I was what I was trying to. I was like, I thought so. It was there was rain a few weeks before, and it pushed our season back a week. Yeah, that's what because it was. Yeah. other leagues other got league. rained. Yeah. Oh. So we didn't get rained out. Nope. But we a rain still affected us once this year. Yeah. But not yeah. not on game not, day. Yeah. No rainouts. Unbelievable. Heck yeah. Final minute or so of the show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw. Hart Seltzer Brooks, what do we have? Unfortunately, you can't watch the Thunder Chickens unless you come out and see us in person at the Auburn Softball Complex. But here's some other stuff you can watch on TV tonight. Movie picks for you. We got a double feature for you for the uh, Marvel pick of the evening. 6.30 on FX, Iron Man 2. Also at 7 o'clock on TNT, Doctor Strange. How about that? Doctor Strange, not a not a common one on our nightly TV guide. Then at 7.05 on HBO, Edge of Tomorrow. Pretty good sci-fi thriller there. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm still waiting to see that one. That one's with Cruz, right? It is. Uh, and uh, I've not been where there's a future and time jumping. Yeah, I need yeah. to see that. I've been on a big cruise kick the last couple of years. It's yep. a it's a phenomenal movie. I, I, I enjoyed it when I watched it. And then your two sports picks for the evening. A little light in the sports category. 6 o'clock on ESPNU. The American Legion World Series wraps up tonight with their championship game. And, of course, 6 o'clock tonight on TBS. And, of course, Valley Sports South. Your Atlanta Braves look to win the series over the New York Yankees as they take the mound. Bryce Elder taking the mound tonight for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, you're seeing kind of a new lineup tonight after uh, Ozzie Albies. But on the IL, Von Grissom called up today. He's not starting tonight. It's going to be almost the same lineup as last night, except Sean Murphy is catching instead of Travis Darno. And that is your Nightly TV Guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And uh, thank you for being here for the final hour for the Karen Hoppe interview and uh, we'll see you a little bit later this week. We'll see you then. And Tom, thank you for being here. We'll see you both at the ballpark in a little bit and Tom will see you again on the show tomorrow. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. That will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that called in and tuned in and we appreciate the head soccer coach of Auburn University, Karen Hoppe, for joining us on the show too. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night. Cluck up and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.